This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 219 for Thursday, March 13th, 2014. Our call in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call in number 347-324-3541. You can also use our feedback line, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. All right, so we got a couple of different things that we got to get into this week. It's a totally packed show. We got Bellator. UFC, Monday Night Raw, we got MPD numbers, a ton of gaming news, plus your entertainment news for this week. Um, having a, a little technical issue here with our board, looks like things are running, but I don't know if our soundboard is going to be working appropriately this week. Uh, we shall see what the case is. Um, either way, let's get into some of tonight's topics. First things first. I did want to talk a little bit about a couple of changes we made on the show side of things. If you are tuning in, you may have noticed we made a little, a slight change to the way that we are uh, setting up the cameras this week, uh, just trying to work things out in the sense of the camera angles we had last week um, were because the camera we use, which is a Logitech C920, is actually mounted on the top of the monitor I have on my left side, but we've decided that since it has a tripod, I'm mounting it on a tripod pointing straight forward. Now, of course, the hardest thing in the world is looking straight at this camera. So I'm not well versed in that yet. Even after, I don't know, I think it's 20 shows under the belt that we've done with video. So there's still going to be a little bit of a learning curve in regards to looking straight at the camera. But I did get this little whiteboard that's going to get me into a lot of trouble this week. Uh, primarily because obviously, you know, things are going to happen and <laughs> it's just it's just going to be misbehavior all over the place. But on the bright side, though, we do you know, there's one thing that I am happy about, and that is the fact that we'll be able to have a few laughs with the whiteboard uh, going forward. I see that a lot of our guys are joining the chat. I see Val joining. I also see Jay joining, who if you are not watching uh, Impact. Or if you are watching Impact and want a different type of coverage, you'll see that uh, our very own Jay Santi does the Impact Live blog. Of course, him and Quark Blade, they take turns on Monday nights, and then Jay does the Impact blog. I did want to do um, an NXT blog, but I realized that trying to do uh, the NXT blog and Impact at the same time, it, a lot of people don't have the network, and it's kind of you know, messing, messing things up if, if we try to blog that, but 
you know, Jay's definitely holding his own, uh, especially since I get out of work late, uh, doing things on the impact side of things. So definitely props to Jay. Uh, definitely owe him a dinner, which we still got to collaborate on. But that's a separate story that we need to adjust, uh, need to address. The other thing I did want to talk about was MTR 5.0, which uh, preliminary designs look fantastic. There's a couple of things I've been working on on the back end, uh, just trying to make things work a little smoother, a little easier. Uh, the, the only thing that I do, I, I do have to say is that I think for the next one, we're going to kind of remove a lot of things that have been staples on our regular site, just because a lot of the stuff isn't used or is just not loaded correctly. One of the things in particular was the, and, and, you know, some people say that this is good. This is not good that we don't have our show players on the front page. I, I'm curious. I want to know what you guys think about that. So definitely I'm going to ask on our fan page and as well as the other social media outlets, if you guys would prefer seeing our, you know, the players for the show on the main page, or if you like going to the dedicated pages on the site to listen to the show, or if you don't use either of those at all and you just decide to work with the, um, you know, you decide to work with, you know, iTunes or Stitcher. I know a couple of guys get uh, the show from Stitcher. Uh, shout out to Javon Lewis, who gets the show via Stitcher every week and always uh, shares it with us. So definitely a quick shout out to him for that. But that's one of the things that we want to work out kind of with the new design. I just don't want to have it cluttered. I'm also curious about what you guys think about ad placement on the site. So I'm going to be gauging a lot of things from you guys just to see what you know, what we can improve on and make better. The other thing I did want to discuss this week and the inspiration came from our friends at VGN, who's I actually uh, visited their show Sunday. I will be posting it on mytakeradio.com for you guys to check out, but they actually do something very cool. It's called a Patreon account. And what they do is the, the Patreon account is set up that people can choose a denomination and support the, you know, support VGN every week. And depending on what denomination you choose, you get different prizes, whether, you know, it's an on-air shout out, whether it's a, you know, it, it varies a prize pack of some sort, a t-shirt, a sticker. And a lot of people have been telling me that I should look into that. Um, of course, uh, uh, Andrew from GFQ, him and I have been discussing it as well. And I'm curious if we decide to go the, pre the Patreon route I really, like I said, I'm not a fan of putting up like a donation page or any of that, but a Patreon account will allow you guys to really impact the show in different tiers. It could be anything. I think it's from a, from a buck a week or a dollar a show all the way up to whatever tiers we set. And, you know, I'm, I, I want to know if that's something you guys would, would be interested in trying out. I think it would allow you guys to really participate in the show. Of course, everything that we earn via Patreon will go towards, uh, New equipment, uh, different things, better cameras, more lighting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's something that we're really, really exploring. And like I said, the feedback from you guys is crucial. I know a lot of you guys, you guys, you tune in or you, you interact on the fan page. But when it comes to taking this to the next direction, I mean, you know, that's one thing that I got to commend our staff on. They're always very vocal about changes, what they like, what they don't like. But I also want to hear from you guys because you guys use the site, you interact with the site on a daily basis or, you know, whatever you guys consider a daily basis, maybe every other day. Uh, and I need, I need to know that stuff so that we can kind of plan the direction of MTR 
for the remainder of 2014. Of course, MTR 5.0 will probably uh, launch towards the end of March, early part of April, once we get some beta testing out of the way, and um, we'll be able to go that route. Uh, last but not least, I've tested out the the forum idea, and I kind of did some testing behind the scenes, kind of running an independent forum just to see what we can do with it. And one of the things that I did like with the with the way WordPress is doing things, which is our back end, is that it actually takes the articles that we post and creates forum topics. No idea if that's going to be something that we're going to explore in MTR 5.0 since Facebook has genuinely, genuinely taken it upon itself to to screw those of us that own brands and businesses just because we're not reaching you guys. Uh, we're not we're not getting there. You know, we're not getting uh, think about this. There's three thousand people on our fan page. And I talked a little bit about this last week. We posted uh, the MTR live blog. And out of 3,000 people, it was seen by 20. And this is one of those things that frustrates me because, you know, we go, we set up the the brands on Facebook and you want people to see, um, you want people to see every update, especially if they genuinely have become fans of your page. You want to make sure that, you know, it's, it's accessible to everyone, but it turns out that I've, I've got people and a lot of people complained about this. Uh, when Jay was doing the lockdown blog that they didn't know that Jay was doing the lockdown blog till they saw a post 45 minutes after we posted it on the fan page. Now, of course, this can be attributed to the usual Facebook garbage, you know, uh, somebody changing their relationship 20 times, uh, sponsored posts and whatever other stuff you guys follow. But you, you have to take into consideration that it's something that does affect us. And a lot of people were bummed that they got into the live blog very late because Facebook didn't share it. The people that follow on Twitter and Google Plus, they actually were able to jump right in right away and get on board with that. So we're going to try and maybe start moving certain things away from Facebook, obviously, with the live blog, which has been incredibly successful. It was a start, but we're going to be doing more things, kind of moving away from that going forward. As always, any input you guys can share, I I would gladly love to hear it only because it's through, it's you know the feedback that you guys give that allow us to do what we do and make the improvements that are necessary. Okay, so other than that, the week was pretty good. We got a couple of things on the pipe this weekend with regards to product reviews, which we're going to be doing. We're also going to be launching a contest for Veronica Mars. Uh, they reached out to us for a Veronica Mars contest, which we will be launching this weekend, which will get you a Veronica Mars prize pack. So be on the lookout for that. That'll probably be launching either uh, tomorrow night or Saturday. Either way, that's one of the things we're going to do. For those of you that are watching the show on YouTube, just a quick reminder, usually shows are posted within 24 to 48 hours after airing. So if you are a new subscriber from YouTube, be aware that editing the show until we build a new computer is going to take a little time. But usually uh, if we finish the show Friday morning, usually by Saturday night, the latest it's up some cases it goes into Sunday but of course you can catch reruns on the GFQ network and for those of you that don't know about our YouTube channel it's youtube.com forward slash my take radio TV okay so let's get into this week's MMA segment a lot of stuff went down we got a couple of fight cards to discuss so let's not waste any time
All right, so we had Bellator 111 this past Friday, March 7th. Uh, a couple of really good fights on that card, including the heavyweight quarterfinal bouts uh, between uh, Alex Volkov and Mark Halata. Uh, very good fight, very vicious fight. Um, Alexander Volkov came out swinging, slinging leather, um, actually dropped Halata with some left hands, at which point Halata just turtled up and Volkov was raining the strikes on him. So uh, Alexander Volkov advances to the finals of the heavyweight tournament with a TKO victory uh, over Mark Halata in the first round, a minute and about 20, I think it was about 20 seconds, 21 seconds. Uh, the other quarterfinal bout, Peter Graham and the legendary Mighty Mo. Mighty Mo secures a victory in the third round with a beautiful neck and arm choke that it was funny because Graham was actually sneaking out of it, Peter Graham, as he was sneaking out along the side. You know, Mighty Mo is a, is a very, very big dude. If you've never uh, seen Mighty Mo, look him up on YouTube or look him up via Google Images. This guy is a massive human being. And he actually used his weight, his, his top heavy, his girth to secure um, a head and arm choke and actually cranked him out. It was crazy. Uh, round three, two minutes, 31 seconds. It was definitely a big upset. And uh, Mighty Mo moves on to the finals to face Alexander Volkov with the winner facing their heavyweight champion. The other fight, uh, LeVar Johnson, Ryan Martinez on the heavyweight side of things. Uh, LeVar Johnson back to his winning ways after um, a decent record in the UFC. Uh, he came in there. He was 0-3. Uh, this is uh, his first win in nearly two years after going 0-3. Um, definitely a great performance from LeVar Johnson. Nasty, nasty TKO. They were exchanging some punches, at which point one of the punches just dropped Martinez, and um, LeVar Johnson jumped all over it and secures the TKO victory via strikes. Now we had our bantamweight championship fight with Eduardo Dantas and Anthony Le and Anthony Leone, or Anthony Leone, depending on how you pronounce it. And um, the the choke that was delivered by Eduardo Dantas was ridiculous. It was insane, just because um, Leone was trying to shoot for a takedown. At which point, Dantas actually flipped around, took his back, and locked in the choke. It was it was like this. It was so quick. It was he took his back and he fell back holding him. And as he fell back, he locked in the rear naked choke and Leone taps out. It was a beautiful submission. It, it went it, it went by in the blink of an eye. I actually had to rewind it twice just to see how it was executed. But Eduardo Dantas retains with a beautiful, beautiful choke in the second round, two minutes and four seconds. Switching gears to the UFC side of things, we had the UFC Fight Night 37, which took place on the UFC Fight Pass. Of course, the UFC Fight Pass is starting to pick up a lot of steam. A couple of gripes I have about that, though, are the fact that A, you don't have it on Xbox Live or PSN. B, that the way that they've structured it and just the way that it's laid out still needs a lot of work. Now, I've been the UFC Fight Pass that I used was the, you know, the free trial. So I watched it on, you know, I watched the highlights on my computer. Now, once they get into what the WWE Network is doing with regards to how their app is laid out, I think more people will be more receptive. But overall, it was a very, very solid fight. Um, Dan Hardy was there doing the post-fight analysis, which was nice. Good to see Dan Hardy back on UFC programming. And on the prelim fights, uh, Louis Gadanot took on Phil Harris. Of course, Louis Gadanot known for his trademark green hair um, coming out of the Ultimate Fighter. 
delivered a beautiful guillotine choke, and it was it went so fast. I kid you not. And you know he secured it in a minute and thirteen seconds in the first round. Uh, nice performance from Louis Gadanod, def- definitely making a case for himself to be on the televised card. Now, one fight that a lot of people were talking about was Cyril Diabati and Alir Latifi, primarily because there was a huge height advantage between both fighters. Um, Alir Latifi took the victory via Darce Choke. Definitely a, a crazy way to go. Um, it's funny because Cyril Diabati actually uh, retired, uh, you know, post-fight. And it's unfortunate that he went out losing. And, you know, I mean, Alir Latifi, definitely a beautiful Darce choke. Three minutes, two seconds in the first round. Again, a lot of great fights. Very, very underrated. Now, I want to get into one fight that everybody was talking about. Melvin Gillard versus Michael Johnson. Now, a lot of people were watching this fight thinking, oh, you know, this fight's going to be a war. This fight's going to be a slugfest. I hit you. You hit the ground. It's not the case. On the contrary, Melvin Gillard, a lot of people felt that he was running in this fight, in his fight against Michael Johnson. Some people were saying he was using the Carlos Condit uh, defense where, you know, he was just picking his shots, bobbing and weaving, bobbing and weaving. But the general consensus was that Melvin Gillard was running. Now, I like Melvin Gillard. I've been a big fan of his. And I felt that, you know, maybe maybe you have to watch the fight a couple of times to really make that determination. I kind of felt that he was counter-striking in the early goings, then he was just trying not to get caught by Michael Johnson's, you know, knockout power. In either case, Michael Johnson took the victory via unanimous decision, and with the amount of trash talking that came into this fight, I know a lot of people really, really did feel let down, but, you know, Michael Johnson definitely trying to make a case for himself in the lightweight side of things, and I think this is one of the fights that's going to kind of help him move along. Now, of course, the big fight the light heavyweight fight between Alexander Gustafson and Jimmy Manua. Now, there's a couple of things we can we can go into with this. Number one, Alexander Gustafson, you know, should have got a, an immediate rematch with John Jones, especially the way that fight ended. A lot of people are gonna are gonna say, yeah, but you know, he's fighting Glover Teixeira next. That's not the point. Usually, a lot of guys, they if their fight was very close, you get the immediate rematch. I don't understand why Gustafson was placed in this fight with Jimmy Manua. But either way, um, Alexander Gustafson went in there to make a statement. And he came in the first round being very, very aggressive. On the, In the second round, it was just a, a lot of work from Alexander Gustafson, at which point he landed a huge punch. You could see Jimmy Manua was rocked, at which point he got hit with an uppercut, a knee, and a couple of other punches, at which point Manua hit the deck, and that was it. Uh, Gustafson, you know, trademark cartwheel, grabs the mic, demands a title shot. Now, the funny thing about this is that they're saying, oh, well, Gustafson's going to fight the winner of Teixeira and Jones. So a lot of people were saying, oh, well, a lot of people were pissed off because John Jones was like, oh, well, you know, DC wants to fight me. Gustafson wants to fight me. Why don't they fight each other? And then I fight the winner. Now, a couple of people are going to be like, yo, you know, that's that's a little suspect. You know, John Jones is 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 ducking dudes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The way I look at it, I feel that Glover Teixeira, if he gets past John Jones, you know, if John Jones retains against Glover Teixeira, he should fight Alexander Gustafson. There's no necessity to make Gustafson fight, um, you know, Daniel Cormier because it's it's a waste, especially because. Gustafson does has a rematch clause. He has it. You know, the guy, the fight was close. 
There was no necessity for it, and he's right back in the title picture. Making DC fight Gustafson is ridiculous. Now, if you wanted, Gustafson wins. Let's say Gustafson wins, fights John Jones, DC fights Glover Teixeira, and if DC wins, he gets the title opportunity. That's it. That way, you know, Teixeira gets to compete against a guy who's pretty, pretty, you know, who's who's dangerous. Plus, it's another fight at 205 for DC, and he gets the bump before his title fight. I really don't understand the logic in John Jones dictating the pace that DC should fight Gustafson for a title match. I mean, for, for an opportunity at the belt. I personally think it's stupid logic across the board. It's a really fucking stupid idea. If anything, I, I'd rather see, you know, a guy like DC get a fight against, you know, a regular, a, you know, a regular 205-er that's kind of in the top 10 before his title fight. There's no necessity to give him one fight and then throw him in the title picture either. It's his first cut to 205. Let him get a second fight under the belt. And then we take it from there. But don't just make the assessment, especially John Jones. You're not the matchmaker in this situation. I understand you're the champion, but don't don't run off at the mouth. Oh, well, this guy should fight this guy and this guy should fight the other guy. That's that's not the way the shit works. I'm definitely not a fan of that. And a lot of people were expressing their displeasure on Twitter towards John Jones about it. Like I said, I was not digging it at all. All right. So. Let's talk about some MMA news for this week. Of course, fight bonuses. It should be a no-brainer fight of the night. Jimmy Manua, Alexander Gustafson taking 50K. Performance of the night went to Alexander Gustafson as well. That means he walks home with a hundred nice $100,000 bonus. And performance of the night went to Gunnar Nelson. Now, the funny thing is, you know, with Gustafson asking for a title shot, Cyril Diabati retiring. A lot of news came out of this out of this card. And it's funny because a lot of people were talking about, you know, Alexander Gustafson was pulling a Nick Diaz brother move by, yo, I want my, my, my opportunity. I want it. But it's not even that. It's not a question that he should ask for the opportunity. It's the fact that he is, he is owed the opportunity. That's all I'm saying. He shouldn't beg for the shit. He has earned it. You know? They, it's funny. Jay says, John Jones, dusty booking. It's true. It's like, it's like, why are you going to make the fight? The guy that almost defeated you fight another guy who is just coming into your division and then make that fight be the guy that that fighter be the guy that fights you for the belt. There's absolutely no logic there. You fight the guy that took you to the limit. And it's funny because they're like, oh, well, John, what do you think about this fight? Yeah, well, that fight doesn't really interest me. That's not the way the shit works. You fight who they put in front of you. That's it. Another another fighter that's been making the rounds in conversation this past week has been Gina Carano. Now, it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, what's the big Ronda Rousey announcement? Is it going to be Gina and Ronda? Is, is Gina coming back to the UFC? Blah, blah, blah. Listen, Gina Carano could barely make 145. We've discussed this. Can't do it. She can't make 145 because she has a problem. And that problem is the fact that she she carries a very big set of boobs. So unless she cuts one off, she's not she's not making 145. It's not happening. Her frame doesn't allow it. Now, they're saying that oh, this is going to be a super fight, but Dana White took the opportunity and sounded off on it, and I'm sure that this isn't the end of it, but he did give us a tasty nugget of information 
And that is the following. He said, Gina Carano, whether you're on hiatus, you're injured or semi-retired, you are still under contract. According to what's been said, Gina Carano still has four contracts on her Strike Force deal. I mean, four fights on her Strike Force contract. So she could just as easily walk into the UFC and fight. Now, the problem is you fought at 145. You got to drop the 10 pounds and you've had issues cutting weight. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. She could make the 145 and fight. But I, I, I don't see it happening. If you remember, most of the time that she had to make weight, she'd have to make weight behind the towel because she'd have to get naked because she couldn't make 145. Now, Cyborg, of course, makes a strong case because she, in essence, retired Gina Carano. Now, to some degree, that's true. No, no, no. Val, she, the, the current division is 135. Gina Carano used to fight in Strike Force at 145, her and Cyborg. Now, they're talking about that if she comes into the UFC to fight at 135, I'm saying she can't make the weight. Now, I could be wrong. I'd love to be proven wrong. Strike Force ran, ran things at 145. Gina wants to cut, if she comes into the UFC to fulfill her four fight contract, her four fights remaining on her contract, she'd have to do them at 135. Now, you know, Joe Rogan opened up a can of worms and Dana White said, Joe doesn't just go out and start making shit up. But he never said Gina Carano was coming to the UFC. He never said that. And it's true. You know, that's and that's the thing. Everybody jumps to this conclusion. Oh, yeah. You know, Joe Rogan said Joe Rogan never said that. Joe Rogan said that there's an announcement coming with Ronda Rousey and that it's going to be huge. If anything, you know, Katzengano probably would be next. But even that Dana White said Katzengano has gone kind of radio silent on me. She's been through a lot of stuff, so I don't know where she's at or what she's thinking. So no big announcements yet. So there you have it. Gina Carano has four fights on her contract. She could walk into the UFC tomorrow and it could happen because Dana White said it. If she wanted to fight in the UFC, of course, if Gina Carano wanted to fight in the UFC, we would definitely do it. It's a no brainer. It's cash. It's cash. Ola instantly. Now, of course, if Gina Carano walks in and says, I'm going to fight at 135 and I want Ronda, it's going to definitely ruffle a lot of feathers because if anything, you you let Gina Carano get a, a, a you know a fight at 135 and then it should be Cyborg and Rousey and Carano faces the winner you know it's 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 as simple as that i do i do think that if Gina Carano came back to the sport it would be great mainstream exposure for the sport but again weight cutting issues are a problem we've discussed this so you know be aware of that when when you when you go on any site or any forum. Yeah, man, Gina Carano's coming back. Gina Carano needs to make 135 first. Period. Gina Carano needs to make 135. And until that happens, it's just a waiting game. And besides, Ronda's just chilling right now. She's on vacation. So, you know, we got to wait and see. Another fighter that announced his retirement this week was former Strikeforce IFL and Bellator fighter and, of course, UFC fighter Jay Haran, who actually announced on his Twitter account that he was retiring from fighting. He leaves the sport with a record of 23-7. and Last time he fought was UFC 156 in February of 2013, and he was knocked out by Tyron Woodley in the first round. Definitely, um, you know, it's sad to see him go, but Jay Haran, I'm sure we haven't heard the last of him. 
He did a, 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 he had a lot of great moments in the sport. He went to the limit with Ben Askren. Ben Askren at Bellator 56 defeated him via split decision, and it was definitely an awesome fight. So sad to see him retire. I wish him the best of luck. He definitely delivered with regards to exciting fights. Speaking of Cyborg, who we were talking about earlier, uh, Cyborg wants to get a fight in at 135 in Invicta before fighting Ronda Rousey, which is a smart move. I think Cyborg really has to, uh, you know, her body needs to adjust to being 135. This is one of those things where, and it isn't just a Cyborg thing. This is for every human. It's like when you're a, a, a 250 pound guy, and you cut down to 200 pounds or 180 pounds, everything physical about you changes. In, and it's not just in terms of body composition, but I'm talking about movement, uh, the, you know, the way, you're, the way you move the body, all of that adjusts. It's, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, think about it, you, you were 250 pounds, and say your knees hurt, and you had some swelling, you know, some ankle swelling from carrying excess weight, and you start cutting away that weight, you start retaining, getting more mobility, any soft tissue swelling you have goes down. In Cyborg's case, cutting down the extra 10 pounds, it's it's just a matter of you can cut that 10 pounds if it's water weight, you can make certain tweaks to your diet to knock off those 10 pounds. That's why I always feel weird when she, oh yeah, I can't make... I can't make 135, you know, it's 10 pounds. And yeah, 10 pounds is, is, a, is, a, is a sizable number, but there are ways to do it, legal ways, correct ways, where you can cut the weight. If any of you guys have done collegiate wrestling or wrestling in high school, you know that you can sit in a sauna and cut 10 pounds like this. You can make certain, certain modifications to your diet within a week and drop 10 pounds. Hell, I've seen people do make modifications and drop 15 pounds, 20 pounds. It's it's all about the the correct training regimen, proper diet, and and just making sure that you don't hurt your kidneys and you don't injure your body long term. Now, here's the thing. If she makes 135 and she said it herself, she's not going to do a ton of fights at 135. I think that in her case, if it's something that may impact her uh, you know, impact her negatively down the road, she's going to want to do, you know, maybe two fights and evict that 135, maybe defend her her 145-pound belt, and then make the jump to the UFC for the title fight. I think it's the smart way to go. Two fights, you get adjusted to your body, adjust to doing the cut, and you'll be ready to rock and roll. Like I said, it's a matter of how long it's going to take. Val says that she's going to get her arm broken it's it's you know and and Val you know Val is a, is a Rousey fan and I can understand that and it's true there is a probability of that but we also got to take into consideration uh, Cyborg does have a, a solid ground game she's never needed to use it but she does have it on on the uh, on the other side of the coin we also got to think about Ronda Rousey has improved her strike Ronda Rousey has improved her striking she has but Rousey striking is you know. It's like here, cyborg striking is up here. It's two. It's two different things. Now, of course, it's all about which discipline, you know, you're you're good at. And Val says, yeah, but cyborg was roid fueled. That that's part of it. But you can all the case can also be said that cyborg fought women that were 
that were, you know, like Cyborg had like five fights on the Habel, and she was fighting women who were either making their professional debut, might have had two fights before then. She's only fought a couple of women that were upper card, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight fight uh, professionals. Cyborg did fight her fair share of, of, of fighters that you'd be like, really? She's fighting her? Not to say that, that, that these individuals she fought were cans, but it's something to look at as well because it, it, a lot of people said that about Fedor. Like, oh, Fedor's a legend, but Fedor fought a lot of cans. A lot, a lot can be said in every organization about guys that, you know, individuals that are making the promotion money and the caliber of their opponents. Now, again, there are certain fighters that get a murderer's row of opponents and they best those opponents and just validate their legacy. Then there are other fighters that they get uh, two tough fights, one passable fight, one super, one super complex fight. Now, when you look at Cyborg's case, she's fought decent fighters, good fighters, and, you know, high-end fighters. I mean, when she fought Gina, she outstruck Gina and really took it to her. Uh, you know, when, when she's fought, when she fought, when she won the Invicta belt. You know, she she was clean. She was drug tested and everything. She fought clean and her level of striking was definitely beyond Ronda's. Now, again, that's because she has a striking discipline. She's more into the striking. Ronda's into the takedowns and the and the submission game. It's all about who's who's whose discipline will reign supreme in that fight. And again, when that fight happens, it's going to be huge. See, and Slick says, Slick goes, I don't think Rousey could take Cyborg. I think standing up, Ronda Rousey would lose. It'll be a nasty fight. The buildup would be nasty. Um, Everything about that fight would be a problem. But you have to build it correctly. Now, if they were smart, they could have used uh, Cyborg and Rousey as coaches for the Ultimate Fighter. That would have been a great way to set that up. The other way that you're going to have to do that is you're going to need to just use a media blitz in the sense that Tito's no longer in the picture with Cyborg. So you definitely got to get Cyborg out there and, 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 you know, do the press junkets, get out there, do a lot of media so that they could build this into a true super fight. The problem is to the, to the well-versed MMA fan, you're getting a super fight to the novice they're just going to be like, oh, wasn't that the chick that did roids that's fighting Ronda? You have to make it that both fighters will benefit financially and from the mainstream media. Because that's the other thing, too. You can't just have Rousey sell this entire fight. Because what happens is when it's a one-sided sell, people just don't believe the other person has a chance to win. When you look at Rousey and Misha Tate, that beef was, you know, that beef was was ridiculous. But the press... The press junkets went, you know, Ronda Rousey went on Opie and Anthony. Misha Tate went on Opie and Anthony. They showed up on ESPN first take, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's what you got to, you're going to have to do that if you want to make this a true super fight. Now it's funny, Jay says, why does all this MMA talk always lead to Rousey? Because she's the, she's the golden child of the UFC. So it's funny because she's, she was actually in the news uh, 10 minutes before we went on air because of issues she's having with her management, which a lot of people are saying, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that they're pushing, you know, they're pushing Rhonda to leave her current management and go to another company. Again, that's not something I wanted to get into, 
But since you brought it up, you know, and Val makes a valid point. John Jones is on vacation. Anderson Silva is learning how to kick again. And every other guy that's a champion, they're not doing a good job in, in making them um, friendly for the public. Like, look, we got this this coming weekend. We have uh, Lawler and Johnny Hendricks fighting for the vacant for the vacant title, you know, for GSP's welterweight belt again. It's a fight that definitely has huge implications, but you don't see the UFC jumping out of their skin to promote it. And it and it drives me nuts because you want to create new stars. Like everybody likes Robbie Lawler, everybody likes Johnny Hendricks, but does anybody even know that it's going to be a title fight for a vacant belt? Not too many, that's for sure. So last week when we talked about uh Rampage and King Mo getting into the finals, for the Bellator Light Heavyweight Tournament, I said, odds are it's going to be on pay-per-view. Well, Bellator, of course, made the announcement that it will be official. King Mo and Rampage will co-main event Bellator's pay-per-view debut May 17th. The event will be taking place in Memphis, of course, hometown of Rampage. On that card, the main event, Eddie Alvarez will be defending his title against Michael Chandler. So there you have it, Bellator starting to round out their pay-per-view card. And they got two solid, solid fights. Another card that's taken shape quite a bit, and I think that I went into this card a little bit a couple of weeks back, but it's now fully finalized, is UFC Fight Night 39. That's taking place in Abu Dhabi, April 11th. Roy Nelson and Antonio Nogueira are your main event. Uh, Clay Guida and Kawajiri are your co-main. John Howard's on that card. And Ramsey Najem is taking on Benil Darush. That's going down UFC Fight Pass 2 p.m., the prelims will be on UFC Fight Pass at 11.30 in the morning. Mark that down on your calendars, uh, April 11th. And um, again, it's going to start at 1 a.m., the streams on UFC Fight Pass. And we'll be seeing it here in the U.S. Eastern Standard Time, 11.30 in the morning for the prelims and 2 p.m. for the main, the main card. Another guy that a lot of people are going to question this signing of is the New York badass Phil Baroni. Phil Baroni's 37 years old. Uh, he fought in the UFC, Strike Force, Pride, Elite XC, Cage Rage, Dream, and 1FC. He is now signed with Bellator. Bellator will be um, doing a short-term deal, maybe one fight or two, and he will be debuting with the promotion for their welterweight tournament taking place at Bellator 118 on May 2nd. As of right now, there is no opponent for the New York badass, but whenever he's around, it's always going to be a slugfest either way. So definitely kind of happy that Baroni has a home here in the U.S. Uh, very charismatic guy, of course, fellow New Yorker, and he's always fun to watch. Win, loser, Droy goes out there, swings for the fences, and gives us exciting, exciting fights. Now, the last bit of MMA news I wanted to get into, and... Uh, this is also going to segue into some wrestling news involves Chael and why would it not? Uh, Chael Sonnen was on TSN's off the record in Canada and it shouldn't be a surprise that they, he was asked about CM Punk. Uh, Michael Landsberg, the interviewer asked Chael about CM Punk and his WWE status. And Chael said that he didn't know what was going to happen with Punk or whether he would be wrestling at WrestleMania. But he said Stephanie McMahon would be aware. Chael then proceeded to hold up a piece of paper like so with a telephone number. That telephone number, I kid you not, was Stephanie McMahon's personal cell phone. At which point, Chael, Chael held up the number, 
they they um you know they they blanked it out and she and he said on air tell hunter i just played the game now of course later on they dialed they dialed the number and it actually was stephanie mcmahon's personal cell phone now i don't know what what chael is trying to do i don't know if he's trying to set up uh you know an open door for the wwe what is he doing or if he's trying to to troll the wwe for for cm punk's pleasure but um Definitely very, very, very interesting the way that that was done. And the fact that he legitimately put a number on TV, it's a case of Chael being Chael, but it's also kind of, you know, putting himself in the crosshairs of WWE. So definitely interesting developments from the MMA side as it bleeds into wrestling. Uh, Jay says, little by little, I'm so not caring about the punk business. It's funny you say that. Because there is something I want to discuss in that regard, and we'll get into that in this week's wrestling segment. So with that, MMA is over with. As always, make sure to check out our MMA sponsor, which is MMAWarehouse.com. Get all the latest MMA shirts, rash guards, gloves, and other accessories at MMAWarehouse.com. Make sure to check out the banners on MyTakeRadio.com. They're also doing a sale for St. Patrick's Day, and we will be posting that banner on the site, and you guys can check it out if you want to get some discounts on your MMA gear. But that's going to close things out on the MMA side. Let's get into some wrestling, and of course, who better to introduce it than this guy? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! So I was going to open up the wrestling segment this week talking about TNA lockdown, which Jay covered on the live blog this week. But I figured I'm going to switch things up, do raw first and then jump into uh, TNA lockdown before getting into this week's um, wrestling news. Now, first things first, raw opened up with Hulk Hogan and, you know, he came out. One thing about Hulk Hogan that a lot of people may not know, which is highly, highly amusing, is that Hulk Hogan has a very, very, very awesome collection of Jordans. Now, not too many people got hip to this, but since I'm a sneaker junkie and I like I like buying sneakers, I read a lot of sneaker blogs. And one of the one of the blogs that I read is Nice Kicks, and they do a, a spotlight on celebrities and their sneakers. And over the last couple of months, last year or so, I've been noticing Hogan popping up more and more and more. And it's funny because it's like, it's like, yo, who would have thought that a guy like Hogan would be like a huge sneaker junkie? But it is true. He he actually put a picture, I believe it was on Instagram, with a table just full of Jordans, all different types, uh, special, you know, special edition Jordans, uh, limited edition ones, you name it, he had them. So it's funny because when Hogan comes out, it, it uh, yeah, you know, he comes out, I'm like, all right, it's the Hulkster. But over the last couple of years, I've been just looking at his feet because he's always wearing some really, really awesome sneakers. And it's crazy because you say to yourself, really, Hogan of all guys? But 
after after me mentioning it this week, do yourselves a favor. Watch whenever he comes out. Check out. He always has like a like a hot pair of sneakers. This week, I believe he had the retro eights, which are uh, one of my favorite pairs of Jordans. I actually have a pair. Uh, they he had the black pair on, and it's just funny because I'm like, really, Hogan? You got like like the mo- one of the most awesome pairs, of, one of the most awesome pair of Jordans on, and you're just shuffling about like a senior citizen, like it's all good. But you know, I digress. Either way, Hogan came came out. He does his typical brother, brother, brother. You know, here's what we're going to do for WrestleMania. This is my big announcement, dude. And he announces, which was kind of cool, a 30-man over-the-top battle royal in honor of Andre the Giant, aptly titled the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Uh, He comes out to the Real American Slick. He does come out to Real American. Um, And I think it's a pretty cool concept. The winner of the battle royal would receive an Andre the Giant Memorial Trophy which was pretty badass. Um, you know, it, it was really cool. It's a big bronzed Andre the Giant. And um, I, I think it's cool. It's a, it's a good replacement for money in the bank. And I have a feeling that they're going to use this as an opportunity to create a new star. Odds are uh, The odds-on favorite in this situation, in my opinion, is Antonio Cesaro, who, from what I've been hearing, is entering the Battle Royal. Now, the thing about this is Hogan comes out, he cuts his promo, John Cena comes out. So when John Cena comes out, the crowd just, he just sucks the wind right out. And he says, hey, man, you know, John Cena endorses it to kind of put put over the um, the Battle Royal, which was cool. Then we get a visit from the Wyatt family. Now, the thing about the Wyatt family and John Cena in this particular interaction that bothered me is that John Cena's comedic outlook, the way he just dismisses a guy like Bray Wyatt and just kind of talks to him in a real in a in a joking fashion and it, it just doesn't give us the aura of him taking it seriously. And in a way it kind of hinders and it hurts the build up for this match. You know, John Cena's like, "Yeah, well, you know, look at the way you're dressed." And you're just like, "Oh, come on, dude. You're not dealing with the rock." And it's true, Jay says, Cena and Hogan reflections in a mirror. Absolutely. But it's not even that. It's just the fact that when you're looking at a guy like Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt, you're building this guy up as this enigma, this guy who's who's a beast, this guy who who is just a dangerous and crazy human being. And you're building him up in a match against the face of your company. There should be There should be gravity in that situation. There should be weight behind it. You know, and it just it just didn't work. Val says that Cena was ripping off rock material on the mic. And it's true. I did feel that he was just not approaching this seriously. Now, it was good because the Wyatt family approached the ring. It kind of made you think, oh, man, is Hogan going to get into some action? Blah, blah, blah. And it was it was it was good towards the end. But the whole comedic Margaritaville calling him a homeless dude, it just it it was so it was so grade school it was so i don't know it just it it just didn't add to to the match in any way the only thing that came out of it was of course a match with eric rowan which big shocker there we knew how it was going to go cena getting the roll up and rowan get eating the pinfall it was a a very clunky match uh very disjointed and of course it was just the setup for john cena and and Bray Wyatt's angle to be advanced 
a bit further. I just, I really wasn't, a, I, I didn't feel it. I thought it was kind of stupid. Uh, then we get, of course, the, um, you know, the Triple H obligatory promo, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was, it was weird. And it, it just felt like it, it, it broke up the broadcast in a way that it just seemed out of place. Like I would have thought that Triple H would have came out after Hogan to do that. Um, but it just, you know, it was, it was weird the way it was the, like you did this John Cena match first match of the night. It was about five minutes commercial break. Then you get the big promo and the new age outlaws come out. They shake hands with triple H and they go to call, uh, to do commentary for the match with the Usos and Rybaxel, which again, obviously angle advancement, but it was, it was a solid performance by the Usos, very short and, um, you know, you're pretty much seeing that Axel and Ryback have just been swept under the rug as fodder in the tag team division. Again, very unfortunate because I do think that Ryback and Curtis Axel with a with a with a good mouthpiece could be effective in the tag team division. It's bad enough that Curtis Axel to most people is just never going to go beyond being in the shadow of his father, which is unfortunate on the Ryback side of things. That that really, really awkward heel turn just damaged Ryback beyond repair. You 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 had a guy who was essentially your new Goldberg and you didn't do anything with it. You just continuously twisted it and twisted it and twisted it to the point where he became utterly useless and you didn't even want to see him on your fucking television. And that's what's happened. I did really appreciate the interactions between Kane and the Shield because that was a lot of foreshadowing and really, really, really exemplary promo work from Kane. And I liked it because, you know, Kane is there, he's berating the shield, and Ambrose is like, does, this, does any of this have a point? And, um, you know, Kane is talking shit, and he's just like, yeah, you know, you got to exercise this demon by, re- by beating the Rhodes brothers. And it's funny because Rain steps up, and he goes, you know, we're going to exercise that demon. But then he says, just like they'll do to any other demon that gets in the way. Nice bit of foreshadowing. Makes you wonder if they're going to try and turn the shield face. Or they're going to use the shield as just kind of tweeners. No allegiance to anybody doing things by their rules. I honestly think that turning the shield face is a step in the wrong direction. But if you have that the shield has no allegiance to anybody, no longer being hired guns for the authority, no longer taking orders from anyone, just going out there and getting the job done like they used to do, I feel that that would be the way to do it. I really don't feel that taking taking the shield and, and you know, just you're going to break them up. We know it's coming. But at least if you start turning them and one of those guys remains heel, namely Ambrose, then you know where you can go with the other two guys. I like where it's going. If it was the shield against the authority, it would really kind of help those guys turn the corner because you're not in essence making them faces. You're just having them feud with the authority, which is fine. It could be anybody, you know, Kane, um, anybody else the authority brings into the fold, the new age outlaws. There's a lot of ways that it can be done, you know? And and I, I got to give credit. Jay says, I love how we get a great thing going. Then WWE breaks it up. And it's true. The shield, if you, the, the breakup is inevitable. 
But if you want to have some fun with the shield and really get all the life out of them, you would allow them to kind of be, you know, the Stone Cold Steve Austin not giving a shit uh, faction of guys. The guys that will beat up faces. The guys that will beat up heels. The guys that will beat up management. And they just go and get the opportunities, not because they're due the opportunities. They would go out there and take the opportunities. They would go out there and make a statement on their terms. I think that's the way to effectively book the shield without turning them face. It's very easy, but that's not what we're going to get because obviously we want to make Roman Reigns a star and we're going to climb on the backs of Rollins and Ambrose to do it. Now, Jay says, I would rather see the authority break them up rather than the cliche implosion. That's one way to look at it, but I wouldn't even go that far. What I would do is I would have them go to war with the authority, with the entire roster like they were, and then you turn one of them. That's it. That's all it takes. You turn one of them. And then the other two, you could kind of keep them together as a tag team. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you turn Reigns and Reigns goes, listen, I'm tired of the bullshit. I'm tired of carrying you guys. I'm done. Maybe it's that. Takes off the vest. You could keep that shit. And he walks off. Maybe we go that route. Maybe we just go Ambrose getting crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier. And Reigns and Rollins decide, yo, we got to cut this guy loose because he's a psychopath and he's he's going to get he's going to get us put in jail. Which would work because at that point, Ambrose goes so insane that, you know, he, he, he just would turn on the shield from the fact that he feels that they're holding him back, which would be very good as well. You take him and you, you know, he's so he's such a loose cannon that Reigns and, and, and Rollins just they're, they're like, Dean, you know, we think that this isn't going to work out. You're getting, you know, you're getting too crazy. You're, you're, you're injuring people. You're being reckless. You know, maybe it's time we went our separate ways. And then what you do with that is have Ambrose be like, okay. And then the next week, you know, Reigns and Rollins are like hanging out together. Or maybe they're putting a tag match together and Ambrose goes crazier. And he's like, yo, what the hell? You said we were going to go our separate ways, but you guys just wanted me out. And that's a good way to kind of prey on Ambrose's real crazy psychotic thinking. And in turn, you keep those guys involved with each other indirectly again it's all logical it all makes sense we're never gonna see it anyway moving on jack swagger took on biggie of course this was another angle advancement match uh strictly for the point of breaking up the real americans which it was and that's where it's going this can either lead to a triple threat against Big E, or maybe uh you know you're gonna have uh, some sort of a tag team match something but it's all gonna end with the real Americans being done. Simple as that. That's how it's going to end. It's going to end with the real Americans going their own separate ways. Now, not necessarily a bad thing, but when it comes to a guy like Jack Swagger, it's definitely not going to bode well for him. Now, we closed that out. We knew that The Undertaker was going to show up. It was funny because they were teasing, oh, what kind of, the, what kind of announcement is The Undertaker going to make? Etc. 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 And I thought about it. I said, "Oh man, you know, maybe he's going to announce that it's his it's his last match, which which would be insane." But of course, that wasn't the case. What we did get was another magical promo from Paul Heyman. Now, I do have issue with this promo 
you're looking at it and you're like, yeah, you know, Paul Heyman, he's cutting an amazing promo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My issue with the promo was the fact that you could have built some really, really good storytelling by having it based on the fact that Paul Heyman knew The Undertaker. I, you know, I shared a photo on our fan page. Those guys have a history. And you can say that. You could say, oh, dead man, before, you know, Paul Bearer took you under his wing, you were a Heyman guy. And it's just like, you know, and you never repaid that gratitude. Instead, you left me in the dust. You forgot about me. You cast me aside like CM Punk. And, and you know, you build that. It's just masterful promo work. And it could really add a new dimension to their feud. But again, you can always you can always gauge the potential for a feud success just based on how awesome Paul Heyman is. And I'm going to play the promo for you guys so you guys can see because he was definitely running on all cylinders. Check this out. I came out here tonight to advocate the position that Undertaker, you preserve the greatest streak in sports, the greatest streak in entertainment, the greatest streak in sports entertainment. Because so many of us, so many people just casually throw that number 21 and oh around to the point where it, it almost trivializes the magnitude of your historic accomplishment. With your indulgence and with all due respect, sir, permit me to put this into historical perspective for everybody. Mr. WrestleMania himself, Shawn Michaels, never won two WrestleMania matches in a row. Triple H got to two, but could never put three consecutive victories in a row. Hulk Hogan got to three, but could never put four WrestleMania victories in a row. Stone Cold Steve Austin had a streak of four, but could never get to five. The same can be said for John Cena. Four WrestleMania victories in a row, but never five. Think about that, sir. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, John Cena, the biggest names in the history of WWE, but you, sir, Undertaker, You've had 21 consecutive victories in 21 WrestleMania matches. That is when a man becomes a myth. It's when a myth becomes a legend. It's when a legend becomes a deity of biblical proportions. Which is why, sir, I am here tonight to ask you not to step into the ring with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 30. Oh, come on. Everybody needs something to worship and the WWE Universe worships you and they worship the streak. And truth be told, after witnessing you this close 
at WrestleMania last year, I worship you. And I worship the streak. And Brock Lesnar is the reality that's going to come crashing down around the fantasy of 22 and 0. I will admit, Brock Lesnar is stepping into the unknown at WrestleMania because there is nothing like fighting you at WrestleMania. But it's not an unknown that Brock Lesnar needs to fear Undertaker. It's an unknown that you, sir, need to fear. Because if you step into the ring at WrestleMania 30 with my client, your streak will be conquered by Brock Lesnar. Since you seem to be Brock Lesnar's messenger boy, I want you to take this back to him. The fear of death is far greater than the death itself. But the fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And Mr. Heyman, there's one more thing. You tell your client, Brock Lesnar, if he shows up in New Orleans at WrestleMania 30, he will rest in peace. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Undertaker channeling his inner creepy bad guy persona that he usually uses pre-WrestleMania and Paul Heyman literally quaking in his boots. Now, a couple of things, um, you know, watching the guys in the chat talk about different things. I said that the Undertaker will probably go 22-0. It's a no-brainer. You really don't want to sacrifice the streak to Brock Lesnar. I wouldn't. Uh, Jay said we might get a, uh, I'd say a Hell in the Cell match would have been nice. Uh, Jay Santi says buried alive which, of course, would be apropos. Uh, Slick says casket match. Jay then goes on Jay then goes on to say bra and panties. Wait, what? And um, Slick says pen and contract match. Loser gets stabbed in the hand. Val also says casket match. You know what it is? You want a match with a lot of physicality, and yeah, casket match would be cool. Buried Alive would be interesting. Uh, the, the whole reason why I like to throw Hell in the Cell is because, you know, the whole octagon cage atmosphere you know the caged animal that is Brock Lesnar it's 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 gonna you know something like that you know Val went on to say probably false count anywhere given the Undertaker's uh physical limits whatever they may be that may be the course of action that they'll take to protect him from getting injured who knows but either way it's gonna be a very hard-hitting and impactful match but again it will be very safe because you don't want to injure the Undertaker either just saying anyway Cody Rhodes and gold dust of course took on Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns in a very very awesome tag team match again uh, those four guys continue to deliver in every aspect when they get together and the fact is that that uh, Seth Rollins curb stomp finisher is a beautiful fucking sight 
It is amazing the way it's done. And when and when it's sold correctly, it looks extremely dangerous. Definitely a uh, nice bit of uh, of an exchange towards the end. Cody Rhodes went for the disaster kick. Uh, Seth Rollins catches him, power bombs Cody into the corner. Then he delivers the curb stomp to the back of the head. Very, very cool. Very, very awesome finisher. Now, of course, we go from that to the snooze fest that was the Divas match with AJ and Tamina taking on the Bellas. Now, the match wasn't utter shit. was not. There were a couple of solid spots. But I will say that what gets me is the fact that some people are saying that AJ is, is getting sacrificed due to the sins of CM Punk. To a degree, there might be some merit because that's how pro wrestling works. But on the flip side of things, I do feel that this that this match, this title reign for AJ has run its course. It's really not it's not really going anywhere. And obviously with the inevitable uh, new season of Total Divas on the horizon, you're going to want to put the belt on one of the cast members, whether it's going to be putting the belt on Natalia or putting the belt on one of the Bellas. The fact is that AJ is pretty much an afterthought. And at this point is a glorified placeholder until they def- they can figure out how to put the belt on one of the, uh, you know, one of the total divas, uh, cast members you know it's 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 sad it's either odds are if we do get a divas match at mania it's it's going to be aj dropping the belt to either one of the members of the total divas cast which in turn will lead to it being filmed for the show that's it anybody that doesn't see that writing on the wall you're deeply 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 not watching the sport the way you should you know, it, it, it's it's you know, it's it's one of those things where you look at, at the deeper meaning with uh, with regards to what they're going to do. You realize that AJ at this point just carries the belt around. And it's true. Um, You know, one of one of our members in the chat, uh, 60, uh, 63, uh, 633, says interesting Sarah Del Rey article on WWE dot com this week. It's true. Sarah Del Rey said, you know, if they if she was asked she would become an active an active competitor once again. And it's funny because when Sarah Del Rey came to the organization, I felt that Sarah Del Rey would be the the you know, the pinnacle, the upper echelon with regards to being a title holder. Sarah Del Rey is probably one of the most complete wrestlers they have on the roster. And I'm talking about the main roster. Not talking about NXT, I'm talking about women that can transition to wrestling. You know, it's it, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I say to myself, if Sarah Del Rey would have made the jump to, you know, they would have made the jump for her to come onto the main card, she would have probably been uh, one of the more successful divas because she would have forced the other divas to really turn it up. But the problem is she's down there. She's in NXT. She's training the divas of the future, which is good. But I do feel that... Sarah Del Rey was definitely underutilized during her initial signing. And and when Awesome Kong left, it would have been a great time to bring Sarah Del Rey up to the main roster because you would have had somebody who's seasoned, who's dangerous, and who knows what they have to do 
to make themselves effective. Sarah Del Rey has the tools. She gets the job done in the ring. She's very physical, and it works. Now, I do think that her training, you know, Paige, uh, Emma, and any of the other divas is definitely effective. It definitely turns things in, in another direction, and it allows the divas on the come up to do something meaningful. But the current crop, it's just, it's just not working. It's definitely not delivering the goods the way it should, but to each his own. I personally didn't think that the match was that great, but it's a match that we are seeing way too often. Now, the big segment, this was a segment that I, you know, my coworkers were talking about, um, a lot of people were talking about, and this was the Yes Movement hijacking Raw. Now, the Yes Movement hijacking Raw, I felt, was a tremendous, uh, it was a tremendous gamble because obviously you knew that it was plants and staff members, et cetera, et cetera. But in order to gauge its effectiveness, I kind of felt that they needed to put more people in there because when they went to the wider camera, the back of the, the back of the crowd was empty. I, I would have wanted to see them use more people in that segment. Not that it wasn't good because when you looked at the hard camera angle, which was, you know, the angle where, where triple H was engaging with Daniel Bryan, it was, loads and loads and loads of people i just didn't like that it was empty on the back end but the overall use of the angle served its purpose the occupy raw which of course was the hashtag they used i felt that entire segment was very very well done obviously we knew that it was leading to the inevitable triple h saying yes um but a couple of things came out of this segment that were very interesting uh first up you know, Damian Sandow coming out there for the match and turn, you know, turning around and not doing the match and Stephanie McMahon becoming all crazy and shit. It's interesting just because Damian Sandow is a Triple H guy. So, you know, it's interesting that he was the guy that came out and it didn't work effectively in terms of him competing in his match. Now, I saw it as an opportunity in Sandow's case where it's like, oh, you know, some TV time is good. But what I want to know is where does Damian Sandow go from here? Because him and Dolph Ziggler... They're, they're, they're guys that you look at and you go, wow, these guys were on the cusp of greatness. In Dolph Ziggler's case, obviously the injury fucked him up and, and took him out of the equation. But um, what you end up looking at is a guy like Sandow, also money in the bank guy. Really, really, he was, he was that close, in my opinion, to, to, getting, to breaking through and getting into that upper card. It's just, I don't understand where where the booking just took that turn like with Ziggler I could kind of I could kind of see where they went with Ziggler where they scaled him back especially if the rumors that he wasn't a guy that was a main event player uh were true but with Sandow Sandow's a triple h guy his mic work is good his wrestling is good he had a really good exchange with um you know with with Cody Rhodes when they were in that feud he was he was on the cusp Val is saying that there was a rumor that Sandow got into a fight with Cena backstage. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate, but I'm definitely going to do my homework on that. But I do feel that Sandow, he he has, he's the complete, he's the complete package with regards to being an effective heel. Like, I don't understand. You know, it it was very, very strange, but I did like his use in this angle because he came out, he was ready to, to do the match. The yes movement wasn't going to let it happen, and it kind of it, it kind of put Sandow back on the radar 
of the authority and not in a good way. Now, there's a couple of ways you could do it. You could flip Sandow and turn him face. You know, especially if he keeps being berated and abused by Stephanie McMahon every week. Or you can make Sandow one of the guys that works with the authority. Maybe he wants to say, you know, I want to I, I want to help you guys out. I want to be involved. Tell me what I need to do. Because like I said, when you're looking at the authority, you're looking at basically Kane and the shield and the shield are in their own. They're in their own kind of in the in, in their own fishbowl in the sense that in the shields case, there's infighting between them. There's the unresolved issues with the Wyatt family, which may or may not be touched upon. There's a lot going on with the shield that, you know, they're kind of an afterthought. Meanwhile, you can use guys like Sandow to bolster the authorities' ranks and get guys out there to kind of, you know, uh, mix it up with guys like Daniel Bryan or, or whoever you want to get involved. Hell, you could use Christian in that capacity as well because these are guys that I just feel they still have something to offer and they're just they're stagnant, which is unfortunate. But either way, um, the Yes Movement segment, in my opinion, was a high point. I felt it was very well done. Minus what I felt was the full crowd that I would have liked to see. But um, it was it was good, man. It was good. Triple H going crazy and getting dragged out was a little, a little, eh, and I'll tell you why. Because you have this big guy. Triple H is a big dude. And he's being dragged off by what's, what, what's the equivalent of mall cops. In that segment, that's a segment where, you know, you have like the heels pulling back. You know, some of the bigger guys. So it looks like, hey, man, you know, the boss is pissed off. He's going to get us. He's going to get thrown in jail. You know, it was it was it was exactly Paul Bart pulled back Triple H. That's thank you, Slick. It's true. That's kind of that's kind of how it felt. You know, you're taking a guy like Triple H, not a small dude. And you just have these like lame old cops, like like making it look like they're pulling him back. It was the only. And again, that's just because I'm a purist in terms of angle advancement. Um, You know, heels with exactly Z, uh, DX Don Mega uh, from Future Endeavors in the chat paying us a visit. Uh, it's true. The heels, the heels would have just made it more effective instead of using uh, mall cops. You know, you have these mall cops or, or, you know, independent local guys, which is fine in instances like that. But you're talking about the boss, the head of the company, the, the big cheese, the big dude in charge. He shouldn't be being pulled back by mall cops. He should be pulled back by like Ryback and like Curtis Axel and, and you know, legitimate heels pulling him back like, dude, you got to chill. You got to chill. You might hurt a fan. We're all going to get in trouble. It would have just looked better. His wife be pulling him back too. It would have just added a, a, a glimmer of realism, a glimmer. I'm not saying that we need Hollywood level fucking filmmaking, folks. We don't. But just little touches, little things. That, you, you know, I, I used to read on, on 411mania.com uh, a, a site, called an article called The Little Things. And it was just little things that they would acknowledge from Raw and SmackDown that were that were little subtle touches and these little subtleties that 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 were done that really just took an angle to the uh, to another level you know it, it, Kane exactly Kane would have been good for that as well Kane especially given his his relationship with the authority but unfortunately you know we get we get more cops for that segment like i said it didn't hamper the segment in the least but i'm just a i'm just a guy that's you know i'm just a guy that's I, I like certain things. Like I said, the little things, the subtle touches to make it work. We got a a, a Memphis street fight with, with Christian and Sheamus, which was pretty good. The only thing was that brogue kick through that paper drum was a was a terrible spot. 
because the camera angle didn't do it any favors. When Sheamus delivered the bro kick, as soon as I saw Christian pick up the drum, I said he's going to get kicked right through it, and that's going to be the end of the match. And it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was it was a, a solid street fight, uh, really fun, definitely a fun fight. I just felt that the ending, as soon as you saw it, it was so academic, so paint-by-numbers. You would have been better taking the drum, putting it over Christian, you know, so that it, it, so that it locks up his arms like this, and then delivering the bro kick, and it would have added a little bit of comedy. It would have looked effective. But when when Sheamus kicks it, and it's effectively him kicking a pinata, it just it just looked it looked a little suspect. It really did. But the match itself, excluding that, was surprisingly a very very good brawl. And that's just because Sheamus is a good brawler, and Christian took some legitimate bumps. He was all excuse me. He was all scarred up and beat up in the aftermath of that match, and it worked. It was a a very vicious and brutal street fight. Like I said, the only low point was that kick through the fucking pinata drum. It just didn't work for me. But the match itself, surprisingly good. And yeah, Sheamus bruises easily as hell. I think you breathe on him the wrong way, and he gets bruised. But that's, you know, that's just because he's pretty much got the complexion of this whiteboard. Uh, You know, what do you expect? Brad Maddox was in a segment with Batista and Randy Orton next, of course, setting him up for this uh, tag match. And I've realized that poor Brad Maddox has just taken a back seat. He, he, really, he really has taken a complete back seat in this entire debacle. And it's unfortunate because Brad Maddox is a very, very hateable guy. You should be using him more just because he's that much of a douchebag. He is the WWE rock star spud equivalent. In the sense that he is so hateable and it's so easy to hate him because, you know, he's like, you know, he's Garrett Bischoff's little brother, practically, that it's very easy to hate his guts. And he's just very, very underutilized. We're at a point where he's supposed to be the GM of Raw and it doesn't even fucking matter. It doesn't even matter that he's the GM. You know, baby, baby Bischoff, it doesn't matter that he's in charge. You know, it doesn't even it's like. Oh, yeah, he, he's the GM. Really? You could have fooled me. And, and that's that's partly because the authorities kind of become the, the, the larger specter. But if they're going to be the larger specter, then why bother with a GM? Why not just make Brad Maddox a manager or a competitor of some sort? I think it would have just been more effective if you do that. It's like it's like he's just he's just there. He's just taking up space. Exactly. GM of catering. It's true. He's doing shit. He's just like, uh, and the worst part is they make him super snivelly. He's like, yeah, guys, um, I, I need you guys to put aside your differences. And, um, you know, you'll be able to, to go out there. It's like, oh, come on, dude. Like you were a wrestler. You are, you were a competitor. Like, like, dude, like have the, you have some sort of say, be like, Hey, you know, if you guys aren't going to use me as a GM, make maybe, here's an idea. The authority pulls them in there. They go, you know what? Your job performance hasn't been very good. You've been making our job very difficult because you're not even doing your job. You're just going to, we're just going to make you a performer until we find a GM. And that's it. And it, it's true. You know, Don is right. He makes a GM call and then the authority overrules him. It's worthless. It's worthless. So for that, just be like, you know what? We're not impressed with what you're doing. You're not delivering for us. 
you're going to be you're going to be um you know you're being demoted to being an active competitor and leave it at that leave it at that that way you have a guy that can go out there and mix it up with all the wrestlers that he's wronged over the last year or so they're instant feuds like this instant like this cuz you banish him out there and then it's like oh you're not in a position of power anymore we're going to whoop your ass and every week just different dudes maybe he has a match with the Miz one week Maybe he has a match with Zack Ryder one week. Maybe you throw him out there with Ziggler. Maybe you throw him out there with, you know, Alberto Del Rio, Ricardo Rodriguez, whatever the case may be. But at least you're getting these guys on television and you're giving them an opponent that gets the job done. Mind you, if the rumors are to be believed, Brad Maddox is another Triple H guy. So I just don't understand why they're even keeping a GM if the authority's always there. It, it, it was different when Vicky was managing and Vince would show up and make her life a living hell. That's different. Here, it's like, is Brad Maddox even on TV? He's not even on TV every week. It's a fucking waste of time. Anyway, Lana comes out and introduces the Bulgarian brute or the Puerto Rican barber from the Bronx that is, um, what the hell's his name, Alexander Rusev, and it was okay. It was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a cool segment. I'm telling you right now that Lana is probably going to be the chick that they're going to they're gonna bill her as the new Miss Hancock, which was Stacey Keebler's role in WCW. So if you go that route, you're going to see her kind of be out there in her in her little suit, you know, be, be, being super hot and people being like, yeah, you know, they're going to do tons of diva photo shoots of her in millions of different business, you know, uh, stripper level business suits. And that's going to be pretty much how they're going to book her until they separate her from, you know, from Rusev, and that's that. Uh, GFQ Sting, that's right, the board of directors. Doesn't even fucking exist. It's like one week, Stephanie McMahon is billed as principal owner. Another week, she's, you know, uh, you know, CEO of the WWE, whatever. It's it's crazy. It is crazy. Every it, there's, a, there's such a lack of continuity when it comes to, like, that upper echelon of GM, board of directors, the, the shit's just a, a clusterfuck. I don't even look at it anymore. Like, when they're like, oh, the GM of, of Raw. I'm like, right. Triple H's towel boy. Right. We got it. You know? It's, 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 it's craziness. But with, you know, before I get into the next match, you know, I, I want to talk about Alexander Rusev. Here's a guy. They're using that old school buildup every week. A little vignette. A little package. A little bit of keeping him in front of the cameras you know, kind of building up that hype and it's good, but you know what it is? You're, you you do not want to drag it out too much because you got to think about it. We saw him in the rumble in January, February, you know, television, you know, angles out the ass March, no competition whatsoever. So you got, you got to do something with him. You got to do something. Jay says Rusev equals Kozlov. You could say that, but Rusev does have a better, you know, he has a better, he does have a better skill set. And, you know, Don says, yeah, on NXT with Xavier Woods, and that's great, but it's NXT. You know, you built this guy, you have him debut on the Rumble, the biggest stage. You want to have him maybe on SmackDown. Maybe he pops up on SmackDown, and he legit wrestles. Don't get me wrong. I like NXT. I know where NXT is going. I think that NXT is a great platform for guys on the come up. You know? But, you know, the Andre Battle Royal, definitely. Maybe you put him in that. 
but you gotta use him because, like I said, the guy came on to, came onto the scene like gangbusters in the Rumble. Everybody was like, "Yeah, you know, it took like three guys to throw him over the top rope," and then it's like crickets. That's all. It's like, oh yeah, Rusev, and then it's like chirp, 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 chirp. Nobody gives a shit about the guy. The only thing they care about is the blonde that he comes out with. Because that's what we were laughing about. It's like nobody's going to give a shit about you. They're only caring about the chick you walk out with. Let, let's let not kid ourselves. Jay says Rusev will be repackaged by this time next year. You never know. Could happen. See, Don, you're saying, yeah, he could win the Andre Battle Royal, but the Andre Battle Royal is going to be the coming out party for Antonio Cesaro. I'm telling you. They're going to use that as the springboard to launch that guy into the upper card. Definitely. Like, I like the Andre Battle Royal. I love the concept, and you're going to see a lot of good guys in there, but the guy who's going to benefit the most will be Cesaro if if they really pull the trigger the way the sheets are saying they're going to pull the trigger with him being the next guy to get the push. You know? And it's true. Don't don't even talk to me about Leo Kruger, Jay. Don't even do it. Leo Kruger, for those of you that don't know, was an NXT standout. This guy was a scary, scary dude. The way he was booked, the way he wrestled, everything. It was it was it was beautiful NXT booking. Now they've repackaged him as Adam Rose, whose fans, you know, the Rosebuds, that's what he calls them. And it's just it's just so weird that they went from super badass scary guy to Adam Rose. It, it just it's it's such a weird thing and it's funny you bring it up but it's true Leo Kruger I I honestly say Leo Kruger could have gotten the call up as Leo Kruger and he'd probably be considered as scary as any of the guys on the main roster cuz it just works. It just works but this whole Adam Rose gimmick, it's, it's, I can't even really, I'll leave it at that. Anyway, last match of the night, of course, the big show and Daniel Bryan uh, took on Randy Orton and Batista. Uh, again, Batista pretty much has accepted the fact that the crowd hates his guts and they've pretty much done the turn for him, which is fine. Whatever the case is, Batista's Batista. Everybody's going to hate him. It is what it is. But Daniel Bryan in this match looked very good using the the, the running knee finisher, securing the pin on Randy Orton. It's a uh, it's a it's a great way to close it out. Super feel good. The crowd was pumped. They were really into it. And it, at this point, it's like we know where Batista's fate lies. When you look at the upper card and you realize WrestleMania may be a triple threat match, you know that odds are Batista's going to eat the pinfall. And he'll go on to feud with Daniel Bryan post WrestleMania. You know, like that's that's how that's how I see it being. I think it's one of those instances where you have a guy who is, for all intents and purposes, a a a, a real heel. When you look at him, you go, "Yeah, Batista's a heel." Even if he comes out as a face, you just look at him and you go, "Heel." Everything about him screams heel, and the fact is that the crowd. We got to remember the crowd ourselves. We've just become smarter wrestling fans, sometimes to our detriment. 
When you hear all these rumors and you read all these things and you're like, oh, man, you know, it's Batista's fault that CM Punk left. Again, that's not true, but that's how some people view it. It's very easy for your perception to be skewed. Was I happy Batista came back? Yeah, you know, I don't have no problem with the dude. Did I need Batista to win the Royal Rumble and main event WrestleMania? Absolutely the fuck not. Did not need that whatsoever. Should Batista have came back and maybe been involved in a nice feud and a, and a decent match on the WrestleMania card? Sure. But pretty much he came in, punched his ticket, killed Alberto Del Rio dead, went to the Rumble, punched his ticket, went to WrestleMania. That's it. You know, it, it's one of those things where Batista pretty much creative fucked Batista. If they would have said, hey, man, you know, you're going to come back. You're going to have a good performance at the Rumble. Maybe we'll throw you in a feud with a guy like Cesaro. Or maybe we'll throw you in a feud with a guy like Sheamus. You know, a powerhouse guy that you could kind of mix it up with. And, you know, and then we'll kind of build you up. It would have been fine. But the biggest problem is that we have wrestling fans. Like I said, we become too smart. We've become way too intelligent. And then you look, you look at the sheets and you're like, oh, man, Batista's going to come back and win the Rumble. And that's the problem. And it's true. Don, you're, you're, you're definitely right. You know, they thought they were getting the rock the way they handled Batista. It's true. You're not getting the rock because Batista's playing like a number three guy in a Marvel movie. Yes. Like I've said, it's great that it's great mainstream exposure for the WWE, but it's a different, you know, no pun intended. It's a different animal. It's a different individual. The rock stock when it comes to comparing The Rock to every other WWE performer, there is no comparison at this point. There is none. The Rock is on such a, a such an, a, an a, he's in another atmosphere. It's not even like The Rock is up here and, and the rest of the talent is here. The Rock is in another atmosphere with regards to all the movies he's done, his mainstream appeal, the money he makes, the roles he's involved in, everything. He is, in a, he is in a completely different stratosphere. He is nowhere near, like, Batista is nowhere near that. You know what separates Batista from Triple H? That Batista's in a more recent Marvel movie than Triple H. But at the end of the day, both fucking guys weigh the same. You can probably subtract a couple of pounds because Triple H did the chaperone. Seriously. Like, that's how I see it. I Again, no disrespect to Batista. He's he's a he's had a lot of great accomplishments. He's you know, he's trying to make his mark in Hollywood and he's doing it his way. And that's great. And, you know, bagging a role with Marvel is good because I'm sure he's got a deal for a couple of films. You know, it's not like Batista is going to do one Guardians of the Galaxy. He's probably going to do at least he's going to he probably has at least a three or a four picture deal for Guardians of the Galaxy and any crossover Marvel movies that they'll be involved in. And that's great for him. But WWE made a fatal flaw in thinking, oh, we're going to book Batista like The Rock. It's very different. If you would have said, hey, The Rock is going to be in the Rumble and The Rock is going to win, the crowd may have accepted that somewhat, somewhat, because it's a different guy. It's a different individual and it's different circumstances. And even like this, imagine if it would have been The Rock. Let's, let's substitute for a second and do a little armchair booking. Say you pull, say The Rock came back, wins the Rumble, goes on to face Randy Orton. The yes movement is in full effect. You throw Daniel Bryan in that match. The reaction in that match, any way you would have sliced it, would have been bananas. It would have been bananas because you have a guy like The Rock 
who is who is upper echelon mainstream guy. Crowd is into it. Then you have, but you know, you have Daniel Bryan, a guy who's the proverbial underdog, who's overcome the odds, and and he's that would have been different. It would have been viewed differently. And Randy Orton looking to be to establish himself, knocking off a guy like The Rock from a storyline perspective, it would have made sense. You know, that's that's how I see it. I think when you when you break it down to brass tacks, WWE expected this huge level of exposure because of Marvel. And that's fine. Don't get me wrong. Marvel is going to definitely dip their toes in the pool when it's time for Guardians of the Galaxy to come out. I guarantee you're going to see Zozaldana on Raw, or you may see Vin Diesel pop up on Raw. You never know. You know, it's like it's like you're, you're looking at it from the standpoint that Batista is the lure in terms of them getting those stars on Raw. That's really what it is. People, people are looking at it and they're like, yeah, but what about this? What about that? I guarantee you, if not the whole cast, then at least one of the cast members definitely will show up on Raw. That's just how it goes. And that's what Marvel is going with. I mean, that's what WWE is going with. They figure, yo, you know, we get Batista out there. We get him the mainstream appeal. Guardian comes al- Guardians comes along. Oh, who's your guest for this week? Oh, maybe Vin Diesel. Maybe Vin Diesel this week. And people are going to look at that. People are going to be like, oh, shit. You know, Vin Diesel is going to show up on Raw. And regardless of whether you think, oh, you know, this movie's going to suck or not suck, people will tune in. You know, people will tune in because that's the kind of mainstream shit WWE likes. WWE likes to be on the front page of TMZ. They love to be on Sports Center. They love to be in every mainstream outlet possible. And doing it that way is definitely going to work. But the problem is you're doing it at the expense of the guys who deserve to be there. The Daniel Bryans, you know, the, the, the guys that work their ass off to get there are, ta- are taking a back seat to a guy who left the business. And all of a sudden, boom, you're back. In, you're back in the game. It, it, it's very disheartening. And like I said, we have, as wrestling fans are too well informed. We are too smart. And, I, and we were we were talking about this a couple of days ago. When before the age of the internet, before we found out about what, you know, before we found out about spoilers, we enjoyed wrestling. Like, don't get me wrong. It's my job to be critical of wrestling for the show. It's my job to do that. But you also got to remember back in the days during the attitude era, when, when, you know, when the WWE and WCW were in their thickest, yeah, we had the internet, but it wasn't at the level that it's at now. Like sometimes shit is spoiled a day before it happens on television, depending on what it is. And that's why, like, the internet is a gift and a curse when it comes to the enjoyment of the product. And in this case, I think that the internet was a huge factor in Batista being shit on. Besides the fact that, obviously, Daniel Bryan and these guys took a back seat to him, but I do feel that the internet was responsible for people just thinking Batista's a sack of shit. And it's unfortunate. You know? But I will I will say this when if and when Daniel Bryan wins the belt at Mania, it will be an awesome way to close out for the show. If Daniel Bryan wins, that's your feel good moment. That's your culmination of all that hard work. When it's all said and done, when the confetti is falling from the sky and you have, you know, 200,000 people chanting yes 
you're going to see people just going crazy. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is where is where we look at the product and we realize, holy shit, they, they, they got us again. Because everybody feels, oh, you know, they're going to screw Daniel Bryan and he's going to lose. The biggest payoff is Daniel Bryan beating, overcoming the odds, beating John Cena and Orton, I mean, uh, beating Batista and Orton, and, and not having John Cena anywhere near the picture and him having his moment. That is the payoff. That is what people are going to want to see. That's it. And sure, you know, it's it's like Daniel Bryan, the, 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 the probability of him losing is very, very small. And that's just because people have been, they, they've taken enough shit. They want a feel-good moment, you know? And, and you got to look at it like this, too, the historical significance. He's wrestling twice in one night. I'm sure his match with Triple H is going to be ultra-physical, and he's going to overcome the odds. And when he wins it, that's when everybody's going to be like, we got you guys. That's when Vince McMahon is going to jump out of your fucking television and say, I own you. Because that's what it is. He he got us all the way there. And that's it. We tuned in. We tuned in every week. We, we, we bought the shirts. We did the hashtags. We got everything trending. But best of all, Vince McMahon got us. That's it. That's the biggest, like, you know, we shit on WWE and we have a few good laughs on air every week. But at the end of the day, when Daniel Bryan gets to the big dance, wins the belt, it's the long story. It's the culmination of of epic proportions. It's just, it's the feel-good moment. It's like when Eddie Guerrero and, 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 and the late Chris Benoit, when they won their respective titles, that was the moment. That was it. And I don't care what anybody says, regardless of what you think of Chris Benoit, the individual, that surreal moment with, with, with confetti raining from the sky and both champions hugging in the middle of the ring after a journey that took years for each guy to get there, you will never, ever, ever forget it. Ever. You will never forget that. For that reason. Because it, it, it's so significant. It's so important. And it's the same thing. You got the 30th anniversary of WrestleMania, 30 years. You know, like I've watched WrestleMania since I was a child from one all the way to 30. And that's what I'm saying. That will be that moment. That'll be that that screenshot that will be on everybody's wallpaper. That will be on everybody's Facebook. It'll be the Daniel Bryan reigning confetti, maybe celebrating with Nikki Bella, maybe not. But at the end of the day, that is it. It's 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 a culmination. It's a slow burn that if and if and when it pays off, because it can always go sideways and turn to shit. If and when it pays off, it will be an amazing moment in New Orleans. Just saying. All right. So let's get into the rest of the uh, wrestling news. And then I want to talk a little bit about TNA lockdown since Jay uh, talked about that and he covered that this past Sunday. So. Kurt Angle. First, first bit of news involves Kurt Angle, and we all know Kurt Angle's on the shelf because he injured his knee, and um, you know he was out of his match with EC3. He went under the knife, but even though Kurt Angle was out of was out of action from a wrestling standpoint, he had plenty of time to join the cast of Sharknado Two. Sharknado Two, the next one, Kurt Angle will be one of the many luminaries 
that will be having cameos in the film. He'll be joining individuals like Perez, Perez Hilton, Biz Marquis, Peppa from Salt and Peppa, Robert Klein. But yeah, Kurt Angle will be in Sharknado. He will be playing a fire chief. So there you have it. Who knows? Maybe a shark will eat him too, and we can just have a few laughs. But there you have it. Kurt Angle joins Sharknado 2, the next one, which is actually filming here in New York City. So maybe one of us, uh, maybe Jay or myself or one of us will be in the city and we'll wander onto the Sharknado 2 set. Maybe we'll see Kurt Angle and get a uh, a photo or something. But yeah, Kurt Angle, Sharknado 2. I, I, I can't even come up with anything wittier than that. Anyway, on the other TV side of things, um, you guys are, are going to... If you guys really want your CM Punk fix, tune into AMC to this Sunday as CM Punk will be on The Talking Dead with Chris Hardwick. Now, of course, this, this is a Pandora's box of problems, primarily because people are going to wonder if CM Punk is going to acknowledge his situation with WWE or if he's just going to show up, do, do his Talking Dead, and go about his business. It's very easy to see that... You know, he's going to show up, talk about the show, but the inevitable, hey, man, what's going on with you in WWE? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It, it's unavoidable. Now, of course, the countless websites are talking about that. Oh, you know, WWE's kind of pissed off that he couldn't come to Chicago, but that he's going out to L.A. to do the talking dead. Here's the problem. And I said this last week. CM Punk don't owe anybody anything. He doesn't owe any of us shit. The guy wants to go. He wants to go and do the talking dead. Fuck it. You know, he wants to acknowledge his contract situation. Maybe he can. Maybe he can't. Who cares? Let the guy do whatever the fuck he wants to do. You know whose problem CM Punk is? He's not my problem. He's not your problem. He's not even Triple H's problem. He is... Vince McMahon's problem. You want to know why? Because allegedly it's Vince McMahon who he's dealing with. And whether again, it's acknowledged, not acknowledged at the end of the day, people are going to tune into the talking dead with the, with the hope that he'll say something. See, that's what people forget where you get gamed like this. You're getting, you're getting worked without even without, without them even trying hard. It's like, Oh, CM Punk's going to be on the talking dead. All right, if you're a wrestling fan and you watch The Walking Dead, maybe you don't watch Talking Dead because you think it's complete horseshit. And maybe this will be one night that you decide to stick around and check it out because you're curious, not only about what CM Punk has to say about the show, but oh, maybe CM Punk will say something about his situation with WWE. Who knows? I don't, you know, like I said, and I said this last week, the guy doesn't owe anybody anything. He did what he did. He is WWE's... Well, not even he is upper management's problem. And you know what? The programming has been moving along so well that it's, it doesn't even matter. You didn't even hear CM Punk chants this week. So it doesn't matter. If CM Punk comes back, great. If he doesn't come back, whatever. Who cares? I'm, I'm, a fan, I'm a fan of the guy. You know, I'm a fan of the guy, whether he wrestles for WWE, Ring of Honor, TNA, CZW, whatever the case is. I will always appreciate the guy's work. Fuck it. The guy burned out. He went home. Who cares? But there's a lot of people that take it to a different level. 
you know, and our very own Quark, he did it. He did his he did, you know, he did his column and, and he was 100 percent spot on about how he felt about CM Punk. And I and I understood and I felt the passion that he had. But what's happening is as the weeks go on and the days go on, it's an afterthought. It really is an afterthought. That's all I'm saying. If he shows up on Talking Dead and he and he says something to get WWE's attention, whatever, great. It's a good soundbite. We'll all be talking about it next week. But if he just goes on there and talks about zombies and says that he's growing his hair out like Norman Reedus, great. Either way, that's all I'm saying. And AMC is smart with that. They know what to do. And speaking of AMC, I got to talk about a rumor regarding them later on in the segment. Naomi is in the news this week because, of course, we know that she sustained that very, very unfortunate eye injury. Uh, She was wearing an eye patch for a little bit. Um, It looks like the eye patch is no longer being worn and the swelling has gone down. And allegedly, she can't fly still due to the injuries to her orbital socket. But they're saying that she can drive. And she may still be able to be in, to be back in time for WrestleMania. As, as I've said before, and I talked about this a few weeks back, the intention was to get Naomi ready to challenge AJ, possibly for a match at Mania. And of course, the unfortunate eye injury uh, pretty much derailed that. But nonetheless, hear, hearing that Naomi is on the mend is good because you know what? The Divas division needs her in there. Needs her in there. Seriously. Because it's we're seeing the same four matches every week. It's either Tamina and AJ against the Bellas, or Oksana and Alicia Fox against the Bellas, or against Natalia and Eva Marie. It's it, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. Same shit. Same shit. You know, but whatever. Naomi, definitely, we wish you a speedy recovery. Please come back, please, because Cameron sucks. She is she is god awful in the ring terrible she is she's probably probably worse than kelly kelly was in the beginning because kelly kelly was shitty too i'm sorry i don't give a fuck how good she looked her wrestling was shit her clotheslines were garbage i think my cats can put on better wrestling matches than kelly kelly does just saying anyway one thing that's been rumored and i've been seeing it a couple back and forth back and forth i actually saw it earlier this week on, on WrestleZone of all places they were talking about doing an eight-man tag match for WrestleMania, which would feature stars from the main roster and NXT wrestlers. Very interesting concept. I think that with the announcement of the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, we're not going to get something like that. But it was an interesting rumor nonetheless because I said to myself, you know, there's a couple of NXT guys that if you brought them up, they could definitely make some serious noise if they're put on the grandest stage. You know, I'm talking guys like Sami Zayn, uh, Bo Dallas, Adrian Neville, um, you know, the Ascension, uh, you, you know, those guys, you, you could, you got a couple of guys you can, you can bring up if you wanted to go that route. But I think utilizing them in something like the Andre, the giant battle Royal would be cool. Also, I definitely feel that the Ascension are ready to make the, the, the Ascension up to the upper card. Definitely feel that they are ready. I watching them on NXT on NXT arrival, and just watching them wrestle, I just feel that they're 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 ready. They're ready to make that jump to the main card. And whether you do it in the you know Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal or you do it as a multi man tag match, I definitely feel that the Ascension are ready for to make the jump to the main roster. 
borrowing from the MMA news for this week, I did want to talk about uh, Rampage. Now, we know that Rampage, he showed up on TNA. He was part of the main event, Mafia. He was involved loosely for the time being. And then, of course, he went. He was involved in the light heavyweight tournament. He is facing off against King Mo, who is also a wrestler in TNA. Now, it's funny because Bjorn Rebney did an interview recently, and they were asking him about, about Rampage coming back to pro wrestling. And he said, Dixie and I talk pretty regularly. Now that Rampage's fight is over and he didn't get injured, we're going to really rev up his wrestling training. We have coaches and trainers that travel down to Southern California and help him get through the process of becoming a well-rounded professional wrestler. Now, you know, it's it's one of those things where Rampage is hopefully going to adapt very quickly. And after the main after the May fight against King Mo, he should be able to do full-blown wrestling matches. Now, I love Rampage to death. Big fan of Rampage. If you look behind me, he's actually on my shelf. Uh, big Rampage mark. But wrestling is a whole other ball game. It's a whole other ball game. And Rampage is not a young guy. The rigors of professional wrestling uh, coinciding with the rigors of MMA, you're going to burn out. Look at Bobby Lashley. Guy went to do MMA, had a couple of fights, and it, it went okay back in TNA. Why? Because it's easy money. Not to say that Bobby Lashley couldn't be a successful mixed martial artist because he has an incredible wrestling pedigree, but MMA isn't for everyone. Same way wrestling isn't for everyone. Would I love Rampage to be a good wrestler and, and, and be involved and do a lot of cool shit? Absolutely. Do I feel him coming into the game so late may be detrimental? Yes, definitely is. So let's talk about this, this, this big rumor. So WWE stock went up today because there was a rumor floating around that AMC, Network of the Walking Dead, wanted to buy WWE. Now, of course, this is a rumor and it was shot down. It's pretty much shot down based on the fact that George Barrios during the last uh, conference call said, you know, we're not looking to do any mergers with anybody. But it was enough of a rumor to spark WWE stock going up. Now, if you, if you really want to acknowledge WWE, here's, here's where WWE and AMC and any of these other networks are really involved. We know that WWE is going through their discussions for their television rights. And as of right now, they have not renewed their deal with USA or with, uh, with uh, NBC. Now the, now, the issue is that their deal is going to expire around the time that TNA's deal with Spike TV expires. Aha. So right now, AMC want, is, is, is a potential suitor. Viacom, Time Warner, and 20th Century Fox. Now, obviously, if it's Viacom, TNA, and Spike TV... <laughs> dead it's a dead issue if if tna and spike if if spike tv realizes that they can make more money with vincent co then dixieland is out the fucking door like this i kid you not but in any event here's the funny thing time warner of course is involved and time warner looks at it like either a tbs or a tnt product meanwhile 20th century fox if they do it they would put Monday Night Raw on Fox Sports 1. Now, think about this. They do it to grow the channel, but on top of that, you'd have 
WWE and UFC on the same network. Definitely very interesting times when you're looking at the the possibility of where they can go. You know, it's 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 either make the jump to Viacom and push TNA out or re up with USA, which considering how much revenue they bring for USA and how much, you know, how they make USA number one ratings wise is a smart move. That's all I'm saying. Either way you slice it, it's not exactly the worst thing in the world. But again, it's it's very, very interesting times. And also think about this. Think about the fact that TNT got rid of wrestling because they didn't feel that wrestling was a viable product. When, you know, when 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 WCW went under. Now, the fact that TBS and or TNT are looking at potentially getting back into the wrestling business with WWE, it's just it's just very interesting how things just come full circle. Either way, whatever deal is 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 achieved will be no we'll get all the details by no later than the end of April or early May. So there you have it. Me personally, if the WWE goes to Spike TV, opens up a lot of different outlets just because Spike TV, that's the guy's network. You're there with Bellator. Bellator is in really competition for WWE. Unlike if you put them on Fox Sports 1 with the UFC, there's definitely some competition there. But, and this is a very big but, if the UFC shared the broadcasting rights with WWE on Fox Sports 1, there's definitely some carryover there that would be mutually beneficial for both parties. I'm not talking about, you know, John Jones doing a run-in during a match, but I am talking about increased revenue dollars, ways to have partnerships where, you know, maybe Dana White will pop in on 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 W, you know, and uh, on a on something with Vince and do something. Whatever it is on Fox Sports 1, maybe both guys will show up on UFC Insider or whatever and talk about their respective products. There's there's there is a potential there for synergy. Now again, it's two different things. It's two different things. Fox Sports 1 if they did it would be a different it would be a different approach than say Spike TV because if Viacom put the money out there, TNA would get pushed out the door and WWE would hold all the cards. Just saying. Now of course there is that looming announcement about Jeff Jarrett and his potential promotion which Jay mentioned in the chat and his announcement is April 7th. Now with regards to what promotion and what channel and what superstars are going to be involved right now that remains an unknown factor but again that's another facet that we got to look at not to mention the fact that there's a rumor that ring of honor is going to get a new broadcast deal which i really hope does happen as always any news that develops i will keep you guys in the loop now last few bits of wrestling news uh one in particular uh involves kane you know we were talking about kane earlier on uh, being involved in the authority, his exchange with the Shield, but it's funny because Kane, outside of wrestling, besides being uh, a very established political pundit who's been on a lot of different shows, is also actually uh, the owner of an insurance company with his wife called the Jacobs Agency. They offer auto, uh, home, motorcycle, RV, boat, life, and commercial insurance plus retirement planning. Now, the funny thing is that Kane has been telling people that he's been pl- he's planning on retiring. So that, you know, he can go and focus on this business. The only reason he hasn't done it is because the money he makes in WWE is good money. 
Now, it's very easy to see Kane make the jump and just retire and go about his business. But you also have to look at it. Kane also, given his involvement in politics, there's also rumors that he may be looking to enter the political arena. So it's definitely a very interesting time. And honestly, I'd really think that Kane retiring would hurt the WWE because he's one of the last few viable, agile, you know, complete large wrestler. You know, he's one of the larger wrestlers that's a complete guy. In other words, you know, he can go to the top rope if he needs to. He can cut a good promo. He can have, you know, he can have good matches. If you if Kane retires, there's not there's no there's no real big guys, you know, Mark Henry, maybe. And, and, you know, the big slow. But in all in all actuality, you lose a very, very viable commodity if Kane retires. I'm just saying. But again, it's something that right now is just speculation. And it may happen a year from now, two years from now. Who knows? Um, GFQ staying definitely five points. Nice work. If only he retired and went to dental school. <laughs> oh, shit. But, um, you know, it, it's a very cool reference. Definitely, uh, you know, pops, props for that. And, you know, Jay says we might have lost Kane after Team Hell No. You know what the thing is? Kane is, Kane is such, a, such a workhorse. And he's been with the company for so long that you almost say to yourself, ah, Kane will never retire. He's, he's a lifer. But you know what it is? The guy, he's smart. He's probably saved a fuckload of money. And, and he, he's, he's intelligent. He's articulate. If you watch Kane on any of these political shows, it will blow your mind how articulate and on point he is. He can hang with these guys in the political arena. So to make that transition, hey, you know, more power to him. I'm sure that his wrestling background, if he does get into politics, will, will be a factor. Because, you know, they'll talk about Katie Vick. Him tombstoning Linda McMahon, um, him setting people on fire, you know, it's 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 one of those things where if Kane did go into politics, you know that whatever person he runs against would put would pull that up immediately. They'd be like, oh man, you know, look at you, you did this, you set this old man on fire, you know, you power bomb this woman, you did this, you did that, and you know he'd have to say it was acting, it was you know it's a performance. It's not real. And and it would just be interesting to see that. But again, if Kane retired, it would be a big loss for the company. Any way you slice it. So we got to talk about knocked up wrestlers this week. I kid you not. Uh, we all know, and you've probably read it, whether it's on TMZ or countless other websites, that Stacey Keebler ran off and got married. Now you're probably saying to yourself, you're saying to yourself, oh, didn't she date George Clooney like five minutes ago? Yes, she did. But it turns out she ran off, got married. Somebody else gets to eat Keebler cookies every night. And um, the reason is, allegedly, she ran off and got married because she's pregnant. Now, a lot of different sites are saying she's not pregnant, she is pregnant, whatever it is. But it's just crazy that, you know, she ran ran out, got married to this guy, uh, Jared Porby, and nobody even knew she was with this guy. Nobody knew. And all of a sudden, no, it's like Stacey Keebler got married. On the flip side of things, um, this this rumor, you can take it with a grain of salt. They're saying that Mickey James is pregnant. They're saying that she's been doing a lot of autograph signings and that she's been stating that she can't take bumps in the ring. They're saying that, you know, the, she's, she's pregnant and that the child is uh, Magnus, you know, because she was with Magnus 
in TNA and they were together. And um, yeah, they're saying that it's his kid. Again, a rumor, much like the Stacey Keebler thing. It's a rumor, but it's just weird because Stacey Keebler, they were looking to bring her back to, to WWE and do all this stuff with her and capitalize on her mainstream exposure. All of a sudden, she gets wifed up by this guy, Porby, and she may or may not be knocked up as well. So again, it's interesting, and it's a, a new story that's going to develop over the coming weeks, whether she is or she isn't, because the WWE was looking to reestablish a relationship with her. Again, we'll see how that pans out. Me personally, um, you know, Mickey James becoming a mom, whatever. But it's funny because I, I, I thought Mickey James would have made her way back to the WWE either as a trainer or as a diva because, you know, she's got that country music career. She's got some mainstream exposure. I would have thought WWE could have capitalized on that and made her uh, an integral part of the roster. Again, whether as a trainer or as a diva, she would have fared well with the current crop of divas that are in the business, but it is what it is. Who doesn't want to see a pregnant chick go through a table? You know, what's funny. I kind of, I kind of remember and I, and, and Jay or, or any of the other wrestling fans in the chat, did did the Dudley boys ever power bomb a pregnant woman through a table? I have a nagging suspicion that they power bombed a pregnant woman through a table or that they were about to power bomb a pregnant woman through a table. I swear that I remember it happening. I don't know if it was during the WWE run or something, but it was, oh my God, she's pregnant. You sons of bitches. Like it was something. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. It might've been during the Lita thing. Might've been that. Yeah. Didn't Lita fake pregnancy once? I kind of, I kind of remember that. But again, it's something that just popped. Yeah. All I remember was that, the chick was powerbombed through the table and it was the Dudleys. And I don't remember if it was Joey Styles or JR that they nearly had a conniption. They nearly had a conniption when it happened. And it was so insane. Oh my God, she's pregnant. You sons of bitches. What do you, it was, it was amazing. Now it's funny because, you know, everybody talks about Stacey Keebler and how hot she is and whatever. But if Stacey Keebler were pregnant, it would look like a toothpick through an olive. Cause that is one skinny chick. Her, it, it would legitimately be like, like, this is her, this is her belly that this is pregnant Stacy Keebler. You guys, that's what she would look like. It would be like a, like a, like an upside down P or a backward or, or a letter D that's how she would look. Cause it, it, it's, it's, it's funny because you know, she is super, super skinny. I never understood the fascination with Stacy Keebler. I, I, it's funny because. You know, everybody talks about her and everybody's like, yeah, man, she was a super, she was super hot. And it's like, yeah, she was a pretty girl, but I'm curious. Answer me this, you know, in the chat. Did you guys think that Stacey Keebler was super hot? I'm curious. Jay says it's her legs. Yes. And she knows how to use them. (laughs) But, you know, but, but seriously, like Don says, no. It's true. I think she was all right. You know, she was a pretty girl. But, like, you see dudes like, yo, man, she was hot. And it's like, really? Like, when, 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 she, was, when she was there, think of, think of the divas that she shared the locker room with. You know, Tori Wilson, uh, Victoria, uh, Trish. Who else? Uh, Ivory. You can go down the list. Like, she was, she was pretty, yeah. But, you know. 
it, it it's different. But I just never understood like like dudes jump out of their skin for her. Like like listen, again, no disrespect, but think about it. She it's like oh yeah, Stacy Keebler's dating George Clooney, and it's like oh yeah, George Clooney, and then you're like Stacy Keebler, like that dude could smash any chick, and it's like, eh. Like, Tori Wilson is different because Tori Wilson, you know, she bagged A-Rod. You know, she helped A-Rod get the roids. She injected A-Rod in the ass. Let's not kid ourselves. You know she did. Um, but seriously, like, you look at it and you're like, she's all right. But I never I, I never understood it. I never understood the logic in that. And again, pretty girl, 100% pretty. But, you know, she's a, she's a toothpick. She's a toothpick through an olive right now if she's pregnant. That's all I'm saying. I just think, yeah, pretty girl, but not, oh, oh my God. Like, no. Just, it just doesn't work for me. Jay says she, it's like Vita Guerra. Her body is banging, but her face looks like a hound dog. Yeah, but let's, let's, let's think about, you know, all right, we're going to get into, 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 into guy territory. You look at Vita Guerra. Vita Guerra, I remember when Vita Guerra appeared in FHM. If you guys remember, there was Maxim, FHM, and Stuff. This was in the 90s. And um, this was during the pinnacle of men's magazines. And we all know that this was when you were a teenager and you couldn't buy you couldn't buy a Playboy. You'd pick up, you know, you'd pick up a stuff magazine or Maxim or gear. And you and I remember FHM had a had a picture of a guy that got Vita Guerra tattooed on her on his arm. And it was, you know, her back, her back profile, and um, you know, and, and it was an ass shot. And you're like, oh, who is this chick? So then you follow her and you follow her through, you know, you follow her career. And it's like, yeah, all right, Vita Guerra, you know, she's all right. But here's the thing. She got famous. She got some implants. And that was it. Now, again, not to say that Vita Guerra, Vita Guerra is garbage because, dude, she's, she's not. But you the, you want a modern day Vita Guerra? You can look up this young lady, Jen Salter. Jen Salter is... The, the Vita Guerra for our generation, you know, for the younger generation. And that's how it goes. What happens is that e- each of these women have, they, they have a quality. And what happens is they, they, they go and exactly, you can find Vita Guerra in Corona. Thank you, Val. Thank you. Thank you. Well played. It's true. No disrespect, but Vita Guerra is an everyday chick. Same thing with Stacy Keebler, an everyday chick. You know, it's 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 that type of a thing. And like I said, I wanted to pose the question to you guys because a lot of people really get offended when I say, "Yo, Stacy Keebler's not all that." It's like I had I had a guy on Twitter send me a tweet, and um, it was an exchange because we were talking about actually somebody retweeted uh, what I said about Summer Rae looking like Prissy Hen. Looking like, you know, looking like when I said, oh, Summer Rae looks like Prissy Hen, one of the guys that was listening to the show retweeted it. And then all of a sudden they were like, yo, man, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Summer Rae is hot. I'm like, where? Who? On what planet? No. Strider, that's a that's a good one. Strider says Stacy Keebler is white, white college guy hot. Yeah, it's like Stacy Keebler is the chick you see in Van Wilder. You know, that's the that's the kind of that's the kind of thing you see. You know, it's it's the same thing. And, you know, I, I mentioned Jen Salter because Jen, the reason I bring her up 
is because Jen Salter's been all over Instagram. Everybody's like, yeah, hey, yo, this chick, da da da. But Jen Salter, Vita Guerra, Stacey Keebler, what they do is they take their most prized asset and they just find a way to leverage that is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's like they go and they leverage that to get notoriety. Stacey Keebler had long legs. She had legs for days. She had a short torso and long legs. That's it. You know, that's it. That's really it. Vita Guerra, same deal. Jen Salter, same deal. You know, it's funny. I always, whenever, whenever Paige is brought up, I always think of Paige as every emo chick I went to high school with. When I went to high school, and this is going to be a very, very New York reference. I went to John Bound High School in Flushing, Queens. And the funny thing is, when I, when I was in high school, our high school was segregated into different cliques. You had the handball court clique. You had your, your hip-hop clique. You had, um, you know, you had, you had every different clique. And there was a clique that was a group of, of, of metalhead kids that hung out at the wall. They were called the wall kids. And this was exactly that, you know, the dark haired girl with the piercings, you know, that, that she would always wear like the army jacket. She'd wear, you know, she'd wear the army jacket with patches on it and she'd have like a nine inch nails book bag and she'd always have like her headphones in really, really dark eye makeup and she'd always come into class looking super stoned. But whenever the camo jacket came off, you know, that underneath was a solid 10 or a solid eight and a half. We all know, but that's what it was. You know, when I was when I was in high school, that's how that's how it was. The wall kids were that, you know, they were the emo kids, the piercers, the people that dyed their hair with Kool-Aid. You guys know if you were if you're a 90s kid, I mean, if you're an 80s baby and you went to high school in the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. And and when you look at that, it's funny because, again, Paige, very attractive, but Paige, regular chick. What I'm talking about is. You, when you look at these at these girls, you look at them as approachable. Like, oh, you know, you could bump into a Vita Guerra if you live in New York City because you'll find a girl of that caliber or you'll find a girl like Paige or you'll find a Jen Salter or you'll find a Stacey Keebler. You will. You know, like, it's different if you're talking about, like, a Trish Stratus, you know, or uh, Tr Trish Stratus is a great example. Everybody loves Trish. Everybody. And it's true. You can find, you know, a, a, a Trish Stratus at your local bodega or you can find a Trish Stratus, you know, at your local college campus. But it's not the same. It's not the the full the full Monty, the complete combination. And that's what I'm saying. Like wrestling now, when you talk about the divas and how they try to book them, you know, and try and how they try to say, you know, how they try to say, oh, yeah, well, this chick or well, that chick like ODB. Here's a here's a here's a great example. ODB and TNA. And Jay or or Slick, please uh, put a picture of ODB in the in the in the chat room. ODB is viewed as being uh, busted. Like dudes will be like, "Yo, man, you know ODB, ODB is uh, you know she's a she's a busted chick." And it's like, really? But why? She, she's all right, you know. She's a bar chick. She's a she's a she's a biker a biker girl. Again, different strokes for different folks, but. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about that we all we all looking at. We all talk about the divas and the knockouts and we talk about their wrestling ability. And, you know, people people talk about, oh, yeah, well, this chick is hot. Listen, like Summer Rae, Summer Rae. I don't know who was thinking like, yeah, she's probably a great athlete. 
and a, a good wrestler, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, and that's what I'm looking at. Like when you try to objectify, uh, you know, when WWE tries to objectify these chicks and they put them out there on front street, you're going to see like, yo, that chick's not all that. Like WWE, like, oh yeah, Summer Rae's super hot. You see Jerry Lawler, you know, doing the hard sell. And then it's like, but no, <laughs> no, she's not. And that's what I'm saying. Like, like, like that's where, that's where, that's where, you know, different strokes for different folks come in. And where I say that, you know, WWE churning out all these divas that look the same is, is that is a detriment, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like bringing up like Paige, bringing up uh, a Sarah Del Rey or a Sasha Banks or a Charlotte, you know, you're bringing up, you're bringing up, you know, <laughs> Oh shit! Strider says there's a picture where ODB looks like Gary Busey. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think I'm just gonna wrap up wrestling because it's it's gonna we're really breaking into you know Cavino and Rich ONA territory. Howard Stern. Let's talk about girls for half an hour. And yeah, that's all well and good, but that can just be a separate show in and of itself. The only thing I will say is that uh, make sure to be on the lookout for Jay's new column, which is his WWE 2K15 wish list, which will be coming up uh, probably within the next day or so. And we're also, of course, going to be talking a little bit more about TNA Impact with the, with the next within the next couple of weeks, just because if my schedule permits, I'll be able to get in there and um, talk about TNA Impact post-show. So once the show is done, I'll be able to talk about that. But anyway... I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't fucking Gary, <laughs> Gary fucking Busey, you motherfuckers. Anyway, that's going to wrap up wrestling for this week. As always, our wrestling segment is brought to you by WWE.com. Make sure if you're ordering over $75 worth of merchandise, you enter promo code WWE save 10 courtesy of my take radio, and you'll be able to get $10 off any order of $75 or more. As always, if you're on MyTakeRadio.com, you'll see our WWE Shop Zone ads there as well. Anyway, that's going to wrap up wrestling for this week. We got a lot of gaming news to discuss, so let's get right to it, shall we? All right, so a lot of gaming news. We got to talk about the MPD numbers. I wanted to play uh, some sort of a gaming jingle for this week, but I figured the Capcom logo would suffice and... We are a little pressed for time. So uh, the MPD numbers for this week came out, and I have to say that there are certain things that really, really did not surprise me. Uh, number one, of course, let's not let's not be shocked at this. PlayStation 4, top-selling U.S. console for the month of February. But before anybody jumps out of their fucking skin and thinks that, oh, yeah, PlayStation is killing it, it's not all, it's not all roses. According to what the MPD group put out, they said the PlayStation 4 was the top-selling game console in the country for the month of February. But the Xbox One managed to get over 90% of PlayStation 4's sales volume. In other words, Microsoft said it sold 258,000 uh, Xbox Ones, which suggests, because of course they never give out the full numbers, that Sony moved about 287,000 PlayStation 4s. Now, again, neither of these figures compare to the numbers that we saw when the systems launched. 
They're pretty good, but they're not they're not setting the world on fire. Total hardware sales were up 42%. And you know, that's 44 and 44% over January. But here's a couple of things to consider. Number one, Nintendo didn't divulge their numbers, which I'm sure are the equivalent of fucking cricket chirps. It is what it is. But we will I will say that that console sales did see uh, you know, a year to year increase. Um and it and it's good. It's not it's not great, but you know, it's 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 one of those things where you see people jump out of their skin like, yeah, you see the hardcore fanboys, yeah, man, it's kicking ass and and, and Sony all the way. Not really. Think about this: two hundred and fifty-eight thousand to two hundred and eighty-seven. Again, these are these are rough numbers. Rough numbers. And it's funny because Val says March is hood rich month. And it's true because think about this. Everybody files their taxes. Hell, I filed my taxes. I filed my taxes on Sunday and uh, my refund is supposed to post next week. And, you know, I said, I'm going to re- I'm going to build a new computer and I may or may not buy one of the new consoles. We'll see. But this is the thing. This is the thing that's that's crazy. It's the fact that. Both consoles are moving, but they're not moving hand over hand as they should. You know, it's funny. PlayStation, they put out a tweet, MPD group, PlayStation 4 is number one in cumulative sales in the States. Thanks. And and that's great, but you also have to look at it like software is down 11%. Software is down 11%. Here's what I'm saying. Everybody's buying consoles, buying consoles, buying consoles. But guess, guess what? Guess what's not there? That, you know what that big zero is for games? Because yeah, there's games out there, but it's not, it's not crazy. It's not people jumping out of their skin, buying three or four games, three or four games, three or four games. It's not happening because it's just not there. It's not there. Like somebody said to me, Hey man, are are you going to pick up Titanfall? I'm like, yeah, I'll probably pick it up on the 360. And they looked at me like mouth agape and they're like 360. But dude, didn't you buy an Xbox one or a PlayStation four? I said, listen, my TV has four HDMI ports four, which are occupied by my Xbox 360, my PlayStation four, my cable box and my capture card. So if I want to buy more consoles and still enjoy the ones I have, I need to either buy. No, no, I didn't buy a PlayStation 4. I have my PS3, my Xbox 360, my cable box, and my capture card. That's what's plugged into the HDMI slots on my TV. Now, if I go and I need to buy an Xbox One and a PlayStation 4, now we're getting into six HDMI ports. Now, with six HDMI ports, it's either... Ah, yes, I did say PS4. Sorry about that, Slick. PS3. So, as I was saying, you know... It's six HDMI ports, and this is what people don't understand. It's it's six HDMI ports, and either you're going to stop playing with your old systems or you got to do something different. I did something different. I sold my home theater, and my plan is to buy a brand-new home theater with six HDMI jacks. That's it. Buy a brand-new receiver, six HDMI outs, and plug all the systems in. Now... You know, we were talking about this in my office and it was like, yeah, dude, but why not buy the receiver, plug your new systems into the receiver, leave your old systems on the TV 
and then, you know, run your run your optical cable into your receiver. Any way you slice it, you I don't have enough HDMI ports to enjoy all my systems. This was why like backwards compatibility for me was an issue because like I said, backwards compatibility, you get rid of one console because the new console does it. I did that with the Wii. When when I bought the Wii, you know, I got rid of my GameCube because it played GameCube games and that was it. So now it's like you you got to play your PS3. I still play my PS3 Plus. I have PlayStation Plus which gives me lots of free games. I still have my Xbox 360, which still has a very, very solid library. And there's a lot of fighting games I still play. And this is what I'm saying. I'm not giving up those two systems for two new systems that hardly have any games. And therein lies the big quandary, which is exactly that. It's like, yeah, console sa- revenue for games is down 11% in February. It's down 11% because nobody's buying anything. That's the problem. It's like, yeah, we're selling systems. But here's what's happening. If you buy your Xbox One, say you buy your Xbox One in one game, plus you have Killer Instinct on there, and you can play that. So you have Killer Instinct, and you have whatever game you buy. You know? And that's what's happening. Nothing has come out. That's why That's why the numbers are down. That's why when people look at me like I'm crazy, they're like, but Rich, why didn't you buy an Xbox One? I'm like, because there's nothing out. Yeah, Titanfall. I'm going to go and spend $500 plus the game, which is $560 plus tax, $600. I'm going to spend $600 for one game? Fuck you. Not doing it. It's stupid. I'd rather just wait and get it on the 360 for the system that I can still enjoy. You know? Plus the money for Xbox Live. See, Slick? That's what I'm saying. And people look at me like I'm fucking crazy. You know? Because they look at me like I'm nuts. But I'm not nuts. I just know that that's the right way to do things. Why would you spend that kind of money? Like, don't get me wrong. It's my job to play all the games. It's my job to try and get stuff to review. It's my job to do that. It's the job of every member of MTR in some capacity to evolve and to be better. But you know what? We're all, we also got real people problems. You know? We got real people problems. You know, things like rent and car insurance and the light bill and the gas bill and et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we have responsibilities and I'm sorry, but it winter, winter was a harsh bitch. And, you know, I got a gas bill that was like $500. You know, and that's what I'm saying. I get a $500 gas bill and then it's like a console with one game that really makes me want to buy it or or providing heat for my family. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? And that's like that's the craziness. And that's what I mean. Like I see these guys and I know a couple of guys. They got dispensable income. They go, they buy both systems. I asked one guy, one guy I work with, his name is George. George is like, "Yeah, I got a PlayStation 4." I'm like, oh, what'd you buy? He's like, NBA 2K14. I'm like, oh, did you buy anything else? Nah. How come? Ah, there's nothing else really good that's come out. He goes, I think I might buy that new UFC game when it comes out March 26th. And I said to him, March 26th, they haven't even said anything about the game. So I don't think it's coming out. I don't think it's coming out March 26th, but whatever. Again, I digress. But that's what I'm saying. You look at it and you're like, yeah, there's really nothing out. 
you know? And that's the craziness. Everybody says, yeah, but you got to go and you got to, you got to try some of the other games, but what other games are we trying? What are we trying? Please, somebody tell me, what are we trying? Because I, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. You know, it's like, Don like people that have the Wii U, you guys can rejoice because Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze sold 130,000 units in eight days. So Nintendo software sales went up 25%. And, you know, that's that's the same period like last year. So, you know, the 3DS is killing it, it's killing it. But here's the here's the crazy thing. Nintendo has Kirby Triple Deluxe, Mario Kart 8, Yoshi's New Island, all games on the horizon. So Nintendo is out hustling Sony and Microsoft. Who would have thought that? Yeah, don't get me wrong. Nintendo's not setting the world on fire. Console wise, it's not setting it on fire, but think about it. You just went and moved a 25% increase in software when software as a whole was down 11%. You see what I'm saying? Software as a whole was down 11%, yet Nintendo increased their software sales by 25%. See what I'm saying? Like, that's the craziness. That's that's where people, they talk about numbers and they're so hung up on numbers. I'm not hung up on numbers. I am hung up on games. I'm hung up on the fact that I want to spend $500 on a system and maybe have two or three games I can pick up. Like, if I buy Xbox One, I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to play Killer Instinct. I, I want to pick up Rise as a rental. Maybe I'll pick that up through Gamefly. Then maybe, you know, Titanfall is a definite. On the PlayStation 4 side of things, you know, I'd play Infamous, I'd play, you know, I'd play Watch Dogs, I'd play, I'd play Clank, or, you know, I'd play Clank as a, as a rental, Knack, excuse me, not Clank, Knack as a rental, you see what I'm saying? So, it, again, it's just not enough, it's not enough to make me jump out of there and consciously part with almost a thousand dollars for two next-gen systems whose libraries are only about as appealing as three titles. Three. And then I'm going to forsake my older systems, which still have an impressive library of titles. Mind you, uh, Metal Gear Ground Zeroes came out. Nobody's talked about it. I don't know if I'm crazy, but Metal Gear came out on PlayStation 4 and nobody said anything. Is, is, is this weird? Is this weird? Can any of you guys answer me this? Like, Metal Gear, it's, you know, it's Metal Gears. You know, it's, it's, it's big. It's huge. And sure, you could, say, you could say whatever the case may be. But what I'm saying is that, you know, it's, it's Metal Gear. And nobody said anything. Like, that's what's crazy. Like, Metal Gear came out. Flagship title. I'm sure it looks amazing on the PlayStation 4. No one said anything. I don't understand, but um, let's get into some other things I wanted to discuss from the MPD side of things. Um, according to what they were saying, the uh, the Xbox One sells software at two. Get this, two point seven, two and three quarter games per console. I don't understand how that works, but that's what they're saying. Xbox One continues to see impressive sales with an average of two and three quarter games sold per console. Now let's dig into that a little bit. Two and three quarter games. Okay, 
let I, I let's let's take it let's take it to you guys to the people. You bought an Xbox One. What two games are you buying with it? I I want I'm curious to what you guys say. Xbox One. You buy it tomorrow. I gave you five hundred. You know, I gave you six hundred dollars. Set well seven hundred bucks. I said buy an Xbox One and two games. What two games are you gonna buy with your Xbox One? I'm curious. I want to know what you guys say. Dead Rising Three. Thank you, Slick. Yeah, that's what it is. They say 2.75 games sold per console. So, again, Dead Rising 3 and Rise, I guess. You see that Slick can't even commit to the second game. But that's what I'm curious about because that's what they're selling. Two and three quarter games per system. So, you know, not interested in Titanfall because it's online only. Understandable, Slick. Anybody else? You know? If I bought Xbox One, it'd be Dead Rising 3 and Killer Instinct. Thank you, Strider. You know, and that's and that's that's what I'm saying. Like people are, and it's funny because this is the top, the top eight games that that Xbox has been selling. NBA 2K14, Battlefield 4, Thief, Call of Duty Ghosts, and Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare. That's what's been selling. On the Xbox 360, NBA 2K14, Call of Duty Ghosts, Fable Anniversary, GTA 5, Minecraft, and the Lego Movie video game. You know? And that's the, that's the kind of shit that I'm talking about. Like, people are like, yeah, you know, it's crazy. Da, 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 da. This is, these are the numbers. This is what's getting moved. Everybody's buying all this stuff. I, I don't understand, you know? I don't understand how people can just blindly run out there and buy shit, and then they say to themselves, oh, yeah, well, you know, I wanted to get that because of this. Like I said, I can't even name five games that I would buy within the next six months that haven't been released yet that are on my radar for a new console. It's craziness. It is craziness. But, again, I digress. I don't, you know, it's not about keeping up with the Joneses, but it's kind of the case. Anyway. So, <laughs> you guys, you guys are you guys are giving me great material tonight. Anyway, um, Watch Dogs is supposed to be out May twenty seventh. I told you guys that last week. Um, there, the creative director Jonathan Jonathan Morin said that the multiplayer game is going to allow a maximum of eight players to free roam in the game's open world multiplayer mode. So. You know, the multiplayer mode is an eight-player limit, PS4, Xbox One, 360, PS3, and Windows PC on May 27th. You know, it's it, it, it's crazy because, you know, Watch Dogs, it came, it had a lot, of fan, a lot of fanfare, and then it just fell under the radar, and now it's kind of back in the spotlight, and people just aren't as, they aren't as receptive as you would have thought. Just saying. Um, one game that came out this week that a lot of people have been panning, some people have been overly critical of, was been Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2. Uh, they're releasing new DLC for it uh, entitled Revelations, and it's going to have the return of a fan favorite, that being Alucard. If you, if you know, Alucard was the main character of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, the Revelations DLC is coming out March 25th for Xbox Live and PSN. You're going to get new storyline DLC that's going to take place uh, before the events of Lords of Shadow 2, 
and you'll be able to play as Alucard, and you know it'll be a game that's that ties into, the, you know, that DLC ties into the beginning of the game. Alucard, of course, will have his uh, his usual unique powers and abilities, including uh, the Glacium and, and Igneous weapons, um, all his vampire abilities, you know, turning into the wolf, the swarm of bats, being able to turn down, turn, uh, you know, alter time, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, Lords of Shadow came out recently. Like I said, not too many people are a fan of that game. Some people are like, eh, it's, it was okay. Some people are saying same old shit. Eh, you know, it. The, the Lords of Shadow games have always been hit and miss, but some people really like them. I think the the <clears throat> the use of Alucard is a nice touch for the DLC. Uh, but again, if if it's on your radar, mark March 25th on your calendars for that. In a bit of news that shouldn't be even considered a shock, um, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag will be releasing a Game of the Year edition uh, called the Jackdaw Edition. It's going to be released on PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. It's going to get all the season pass content, including Freedom Cry and Blackbeard's Wrath and the Guild of Rogues. Also, there's going to be limited edition missions from the Pirates Pack, the Death Vessel Pack, the Kraken Ship Pack, and the Crusader and Florentine Customization Pack. So that Jackdaw edition does not have a release date yet, but it's uh, something that you definitely are going to keep a lookout on. And, and one thing for me, it's like this is what I'm saying. People go, they buy all the DLC and then three months later, boom, Jackdaw, full complete edition of Assassin's Creed 4. And it, there you have it. It's, it's a blatant cash grab. You know, at that point, I just feel that if you haven't played Assassin's Creed 4 by now, save your shillings and get the Game of the Year Black Flag Edition when it comes out. I believe it's scheduled to be released in the UK uh, sometime in April. Now, going back to what I was saying about the, you know, the MPD numbers I, I do feel that when, you know, these these games come out, one, you know, th there's always the usual suspects, the Maddens, the Call of Duties. These guys are always going to be in there. But then there's guys that come under the radar and they definitely make an impact. And that's that's kind of what's been lacking with the launch of these new consoles. Just somebody to make an impact like Titanfall is definitely going to make an impact. Uh, Infamous Second Son is definitely going to make an impact. But everything else eh, kind of paint by numbers. One thing I did want to talk about though, and it was a very interesting article put out by Polygon is, is Madden. Now you're probably saying to yourself, Rich has lost his mind when he's talking about Madden on MTR. But the reason I wanted to talk about Madden is because Polygon put out a very interesting article about some of the things that the NFL forced EA to remove from Madden. Now, if you guys remember when we used to play Madden years ago, the ambulance would come out to pick up injured players uh, you'd be able to do some really hard hits if you were using the hit stick. So what happens is uh, Polygon did an interview with uh, current and former producers of Madden. And um, it's crazy that they said that the NFL actually made them take out a lot of this stuff. In the mid-2000s, both the league and John Madden himself suggested that Madden's developers adjust the way the, the game treated concussion and that no tackles in the game would cause a player's helmet to pop off at least not since the transition to high-definition consoles. So if you guys remember, in the old games, you'd hit a guy, and you'd hit him so hard his helmet would pop off. It's not happening. And that was at the request of the NFL and, and John Madden due to the change with regards to the way concussions were viewed. Also, the ambulance was removed, and occasionally it would run over heavy, uh, healthy players, if you guys remember that. Um, 
the ambulance came out in John Madden 92, and then it last appeared in Madden 2001. Now, according to what they're saying, they really did take umbrage to regards to that, with regards to that, because they felt, you know, obviously it being cartoony, running the, you know, running the the healthy players over, but it was just, it just didn't reflect how the NFL wanted it to look. Now, again, I don't feel that, you know, it was good or bad, but also the NFL has made a lot of demands on EA with regards to how realistic the games can be. When EA started uh, doing development for Madden NFL 11, uh, the, the owners of the Jacksonville Jaguars actually took offense to the game representing their stadium as half-filled. According to the developer, however, of course, variable attendance makes sense in franchise mode, but they really did not like the fact that the stadium was shown half-empty. A lot of things, a lot of things like that were, were very interesting. They took out a lot of crazy things. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, um, it's weird that the NFL would really uh, clamp down on so many of those little things that are really not the worst things in the world. Yeah, the ambulance thing, eh, maybe not. But the helmets getting popped off, it happens. It's hap- it happens in regular NFL games now when a dude get hit so hard his helmet pops off. And that's why, like, sometimes the NFL, the, 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 you know, the, the no fun league name, sometimes it really does apply because it's like, why would you, why would you take so many things out of the game that just make the game cool to play? Like, it's cool if you get a nasty tackle on the quarterback and you knock his helmet off. You're like, oh, you know, that, like that, like that makes you hype. But clearly the, uh, the no fun league has other ideas. All right. So. With that said, that actually wraps up gaming for this week. You know, things were a little quiet, minus the MPD stuff, but we do have quite a bit of entertainment news to discuss. So let's get to it, shall we? All right, so on the entertainment side of things, before I get into it, uh, for those of you that are curious, uh, this glow-in-the-dark Punisher t-shirt is not a new t-shirt. So before anybody asks, I got to let you guys know, this is not a new t-shirt. This was actually a t-shirt from the Echo Marvel collection that they put out years ago that I have kept in, in pristine condition, but the skull still does glow in the dark, and it is from Echo's Marvel collection. If you want to try and find it, eBay is your friend. I bought this when it first came out, along with a couple of other Marvel things. Uh, there were certain things that I got rid of, like a Wolverine button-down shirt, because, you know, at 33 years old, a button-down shirt with Wolverine in tie-dye colors, just, it doesn't look cool. It makes you look like a douchebag. But this, this I had a soft spot for, so I did keep this. Anyway, if you want to look for it, you might get lucky and pick it up on eBay. It's from the Mark Echo or the Echo Marvels collection, for those of you that are curious. All right, so entertainment news for this week. Uh, first up, the Hunger Games Catching Fire record-breaking numbers uh, with regards to Blu-ray and DVD sales sold 3.9 million units in on Blu-ray and, and DVD within the first weekend, the week of March 7th. Blu-ray sales accounted for 50% of all sales. Blu-ray sales of the first Hunger Games were about 35%. Uh, But according to the studio, digital sales, uh, they grew 40% for digital media. 
But overall, the big seller was the Blu-ray bringing in 50%. 3.9 million Blu-rays, mind you, came out March 7th. So from March 7th to this week, almost 4 million units were sold. It's insanity, but props to them for that. In a bit of uh, what-the-fuck movie news for this week, uh, Lindsay Lohan, who when she is not doing three or four eight balls of Cokes or doing eight balls of Coke or double fisting two guys in the bathroom of a club, decides to be sober, she actually appears on shows like Jimmy Fallon. Uh, she, she actually showed up on Jimmy Fallon and said that they are working on a Mean Girls reunion. She said that Tina Fey is actively working on it. Uh, this year is the 10th anniversary, and they are looking to possibly do something with regards to bringing Mean Girls back to the screen. Now, I don't know if that's going to involve all the other actresses uh, coming back or not, but it's going to be very interesting with regards to Lindsay Lohan possibly remaining sober and doing something meaningful, like at least doing uh, an update to a film that actually made her successful. Again, not something that's super mainstream, but definitely part of the part of the what the fuck category because Mean Girls was a one-off film and does it warrant a reunion and a sequel? No. Does Lindsay Lohan need money to buy bottles of gin and bags of Coke? Definitely. Anyway, we got to talk a little bit about Spider-Man 2, which, of course, it's very, very close to being released. We, we are, I believe it's uh, May, the release date, right? Uh, Slick, I think the release date for, for Spider-Man is May. Captain America is April, and I think Spider-Man is May. You know? Either way, the, the funny thing about this is you have this film coming along with... Uh, thank you, Don. Uh, you have, you have Spider-Man coming along, and, and the big concern is the overabundance of villains. Now, you know, Mark Webb, he, he, he spoke at South by Southwest and said, you know, that the villain overload won't be a problem because Paul Giamatti's Rhino character only has four minutes of screen time. So for all of you that were losing your shit about Rhino and him looking like a Megazord robot or whatever, Rhino being in the film for four minutes is not the end-all be-all. Now, of course, whether whether it's four minutes or the entire duration of the film, the obvious Im implications of this movie is the Sinister Six. We all know it's coming. Anybody who thinks otherwise is kidding themselves, considering, and this is one thing that bothers me, you release tons of clips from the movie, tons of pictures from the movie, and by the time you're done watching these clips, you've practically watched the whole movie. And sometimes I try to stop myself. Like a couple of people were like, oh, you know, Rich, why didn't you put up some of the new clips from Spider-Man? And I said, because by the time you're done watching every clip, you've watched most of the movie and it eliminates any surprise. So usually new trailers or anything noteworthy, I try to share. But, I, you know, watching every clip, every clip, every clip, by the time it's all said and done, your excitement is gone. Your excitement to see the film is gone. You know, and, and that's one of the things that kind of, you know, it kind of irks me with regards to the clips, especially because and, and you know, if this is con considered spoilers. So if you don't want to hear this, you know, fast forward or mute, the, mute the show. But. The fact that the after credit scenes for Captain America 
and Spider-Man have already been leaked is insane. You know, the, the, the ending of Captain America sets up Age of Ultron. We all know this. I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to say that it involves two characters that will be appearing in the next event in the Avengers film. Now, again, it, it's, it can be considered, you know, spoilerish, but the other ending, because there is a second ending, a second, a second after credit scene involves Winter Soldier. And the thing that gets me with that is that by releasing that, you've just spoiled what everybody's saying is probably going to be the best Marvel film in Captain America. Just saying. On the Spider-Man side of things, the ending of Spider-Man that was that was leaked out, you know, the 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 after credits ending, the the setup is blatant. And it really does spoil some things. And all I got to say is it involves a frozen head in a box. Might might be spoiler, might not. If you want to dig a little deeper, knock yourselves out. But my frustration is that all these clips and all this stuff, the necessity to get it out there is going to ruin it. Like, look at Godzilla. Godzilla, they've done a really good job, the slow burn, the slow burn, the slow burn, and now it's like, here's Godzilla, boom. And then, you know, at South by Southwest, Gareth Gareth Edwards said, yeah, you know, we're going to, Godzilla's going to fight some other kaiju monsters. And, of course, somebody took a, a screenshot of one of them and leaked it out. And everybody published it. And that's what I'm saying. Like, like certain things, you, 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 you're suspending the element of surprise. You're suspending the element of enjoyment because of the necessity you're going to want to look. It's not Mothra. So it's okay. No Mothra, Val. It's not Mothra. So, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like you want to see exactly nothing is sacred. And sometimes people are like, hey, man, you know, did you, did you read this? Did you read that? And that's what I'm saying. You go and and you look at it and like, I have to do this stuff for show prep. So when I read some of this stuff, I try to frame it in a way to not give up the goods. But then in a way I I say to myself, damn, you know, they're really going to do that. Like the Rhino thing, Rhino, them telling you that Rhino's not going to be in the entire movie and that Rhino's in the movie for four minutes. Why would you do that? Why? You know what I'm saying? Like there's no necessity to tell the audience that Rhino's scene is four minutes. The movie will be out in about in roughly, you know, a month and a half. Why does it matter? Why is it a factor? Showing, you know, showing the post credit scene to Captain America and letting people see it, you know, from the L.A. screening, you know, it's going to get out there. They're not trolling, Val. They're not trolling. And you want to know why they're not trolling for the Captain America thing? Because they did the press screening in Los Angeles and dudes that saw the press screening in Los Angeles were complaining. Now, Don says they wanted people to chill on the too many villains thing. Here's the, here's the funny thing. You know, here's the funny thing about that. The, the too many villains thing is a gift and a curse, and I'll tell you why. Uh, depending on which villains it is, you don't get to showcase each villain effectively, and that is a big problem. When you look at, when you look at Amazing Spider- when you look at Spider-Man 3, yeah, we can say that we hate Venom. And, and, and I did. I hated Venom completely. But at the end of the day, the, the, what we needed in Spider-Man was the Sandman. But the problem was that Marvel felt that the Sandman wasn't enough. So we got to throw Venom in there. And there wasn't enough time to focus on each character individually. Now, the big concern with the Sinister Six 
is exactly that. You have the Green Goblin. He's the leader. He's the big personality. You're going to you're going to have to approach the Sinister Six the same way you approach the Avengers. You know, but that's what happens that you're, you're going to have to approach the Sinister Six, whether it's in a standalone movie or not, the way you approach the Avengers, where you're going to have to kind of bring them together gradually, but give them enough screen time so people become genuinely interested in them. It's simple as that. That's the problem. Like sometimes they get scared. Oh, people aren't going to think this character is cool. And look, look at Thor. When I first went in to see Thor, I thought Thor was going to be shit. But they did such a great job with with Sif and the Warriors 3 and Heimdall and Loki and the Frost Giants that it was just an enjoyable movie. And that's what it was. They took a gamble. They took a risk. This That's not what's happening. You know, and it's true. Jay, Ven- Venom is an awesome villain. But they what happened was they forced him into a movie way too soon. They didn't have enough belief that the Sandman would work by himself. You know, and it is true. Thor is one of the better, the best Marvel properties. It's true. You know, Thor, Thor, especially that second Thor movie, that second Thor movie had a lot of good stuff going for it. Same thing with Captain America. Everybody that went to the press screening of Captain America that saw it. And, you know, there's one or two guys that saw it that I know. And all I said was, how was it? And they said, probably the measuring stick for Marvel movies in 2014. So when you're saying that about Captain America, when you're saying that about Captain America, and and not to say that Captain America is a shitty character, but Captain America was, is in, you know, he doesn't have any like super, super powers, you know, and his rogues gallery is Nazis and, and, you know, run of the mill bad guys, you know, he doesn't have a rogues gallery like Spider-Man or a rogues gallery like Batman. So for people to say, Hey, Captain America 2 is that good is ridiculous. You know, Captain America, for, for people to say, yo, Captain America 2 is going to be the gold standard for Marvel movies in 2013, in 2014 is a big boast. And I, and, I, and I heard that from at least two people that I know. Two. I was like, yo, did you go to the screening? Yeah, we got to go to the screening. How was it? Yo, it was, it was as good as they've said. Like that's that that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good because Captain America is not a character that you would say, oh, my God, is he, he's he's super awesome. It's like his villains are the Nazis, Baron Strucker, uh, Crossbones, maybe the Serpent Society. When you look at it, you know, it, when you when you look at the list of characters and, and when and Captain America's rogues gallery, you're like, eh. You know what I mean? Like, you don't really bat an eyelash. It's not like Spider-Man. It's not like Batman. Hell, it's not like Wolverine either. Like, Wolverine has a pretty solid rogues gallery. Like, people don't give that enough credit. All the, when, when people talk about Wolverine, they go, oh, yeah, Sabretooth. It's like, no, it's not just Sabretooth. It's Sabretooth. It's Omega Red. It's Cyber. Um, it's, you know, part the Marauders. It's Albert the, the Cyborg. It's uh, his son, Deken. It's Romulus, uh, Lady Deathstrike. Thank you, Slick. That's what I'm saying. Like, people don't people that don't look at it that way, and that's what I'm saying. Think of the rogues gallery that Captain America has and the fact that even that rogues gallery on film works. It works. That's all I'm saying. 
You know, the rogues gallery works. So, it, you know, it made me feel good to hear that Captain America was going to be that awesome. Just saying. Anyway. So. Let's talk about box office numbers. Of course, 300 Rise of an Empire was number one, 45.1 million dollars. Uh, make sure to check out my review on MyTakeRadio.com. Um, I can tell you guys that 300 from a visual perspective was amazing. Sullivan Stapleton, who plays the lead, he plays uh, Themistocles. Uh, you may know him as Damian Scott from Strike Back, which is an awesome and extremely underrated show. I really felt that Sullivan Stapleton could not carry the movie by himself, given the fact that I've always seen him as a number two guy. Now, in terms of Ava Green, for those of you that want to know, she, she does get naked. So there you have it. Ava Green gets naked. Um, her character definitely when on screen with Sullivan Stapleton leaps and bounds ahead. You know, now Don, you're saying that the 300 se- here's the problem. The overuse of slow-mo that sex that, that sex scene in that film was the equivalent of a really, really bad Cinemax sex scene. Like it was like, you know, like, like, like too much slow-mo again. I didn't think 300 sucked. I didn't don't don't misunderstand, but it was a, a the crutch of slow-mo and blood was in, was insane. Like if you would have done the one of the Athenians taking a piss over a cliff and done it in slow-mo, it wouldn't have been anything else. Strider, you are you are partially right. And no Jay, we don't. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was it, it was it was good. It was very good. It, it's it's on a different tier than the first one, though. Like, the first one changed changed the entire genre of sword and sandal films. The second movie feels like an extended version of Spartacus from Stars. Very good, but, the you know, Sullivan Stapleton, as much as I like him, definitely, definitely not a leading man yet. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, 300 Rise of an Empire was number one. Mr. Peabody and Sherman was number two. Nonstop was number three. Uh, the Lego movie was number four. Son of God was five. Monuments Men was number six. Uh, three Days to a Kill was number seven. Frozen was eight. Twelve Years a Slave was nine. And Ride Along was number ten. Uh, Two million dollars for Ride Along, bringing its total to one hundred and thirty million dollars. Uh, number one, of course, Ride Along getting a sequel. Shouldn't be shocked. Uh, so of course. Uh, $2 million, bringing its total to 130 it barely cost anything to make. Not shocked. A couple of other sequels we got on the way. Um, obviously, The Purge Anarchy, Sinister 2, Insidious 2, and Paranormal Activity 5. So get your, get your, get your, uh, get your calendars ready. Don, I see you giving the date in there. Uh, can, I, can I get to the shit? I understand you want to share this stuff. But can I get to it? Can I get to it? How about that? Please. Because I see you dropping a whole bunch of knowledge in there. I'm looking at my show notes. I'm like, well, shit, I'm not going to talk about that because he's running the show in the fucking chat. Slow it down. Slow it down. I got it. I got it. You know a whole bunch of shit, dude. But, you know, (laughs) easy. Whoa, big fella. Whoa. (laughs) But anyway. Paranormal Activity 5. Come on. These movies cost $5 to make. None of, none of the movies I read, 
The Purge Anarchy, Sinister, Insidious, Paranormal Activity 5. None of that shit costs a fuckload of money. But again, you know it's going to come out. Now, here's, here's the bit of what the fuck movie news that may or may not get some of you extremely upset. When I was growing up in the 80s, I, I, was, I liked Chevy Chase. I love watching Chevy Chase movies. Um, you know, his, one of my favorites, Fletch. If, if, you were, if you were a kid growing up in the 80s and you turned on Channel 11 on a Sunday afternoon, odds are they were giving, they were giving Fletch or Fletch Lives or National Lampoon. Either way, you always end up watching it. Now, let's talk, let's talk about Fletch. Here's, here's the thing. Jason Sudeikis. You know we all love Jason Sudeikis here on My Take Radio, right? Horrible Bosses, We're the Millers, a complete fucking comedic hack. That guy. Jason Sudeikis will be playing the role of Fletch in Fletch One. The Hollywood Reporter says that the comedian is in negotiations to play the role created by the iconic Chevy Chase based on the 1985 classic Fletch and its 1989 sequel, Fletch Lives. Of course, the character is based on the Gregory McDonald novel series about an investigative journalist in Los Angeles. Now, here's the kicker. The film is being described as a gritty action comedy. Yeah. So, so there you have it. Your, your Fletch is coming back to theaters, but they're going with gritty action comedy. And Jason Sudeikis, ladies and gentlemen, is Fletch. And I just look at it and I just I just say to myself, you could have found a dozen other guys that are remotely funnier than Jason Sudeikis. What? Because he wakes up next to Olivia, Olivia Wilde. Maybe he was a modicum of funny in, 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 you know, in what the hell was it? In Horrible Bosses. It's like Jason Sudeikis. Playing Fletch makes me very sad. Very, very sad. And it's true, Fletch won. It is a prequel, thank you, Don. But, again, why would you do it? Why? Why? Why, why would you force me to draw this sad face? Why? Seriously, there's no necessity. The movie was relevant in 1985 and 1989. I just, I just don't understand it. I don't. That's that sums it up perfectly. Thank you, Slick, for that reminder. <laughs> but it's true. I, I ninety seconds. There goes the English woman reminding us that we have ninety seconds of live airtime on Blog Talk Radio. As always, you can continue listening live via uh, Mixler feed, or you can keep watching the show on GFQ, GFQLive.tv, or MTRLive.com. Again, the Mixler feed goes off air at two a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can continue listening via Mixler mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv just a brief reminder anyway 60 seconds i figured i wouldn't keep talking because i knew she was coming with 60 seconds and i'm sure she's gonna say i have 10 seconds but before i before i even let her get to it uh jamie fox and kevin hart are in talks to star in a film called black phantom tim story from ride along is in talks to direct and of course this would be a reunion for story hart and ride along producer Will Packer. Now, basically, what's fu- the the premise of the story 
is that the film is going to follow a double-crossed hitman who gets help from the Black Phantom, who is re- who is known as an African-American hitman who had been sent to kill him. So there you have it. You have a mob hitman who is who has a contract out on him, and the guy that's supposed to fulfill the contract is the mysterious Black Phantom. Now, what ends up happening is... Ten seconds. There you go, ten seconds. Uh, the Black Phantom and the mob hitman join forces... And will, of course, take it to the mob. Now, the 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 casting, you know, Jamie Foxx and Kevin Hart, from a comedic standpoint, you say to yourself, oh, this movie's going to be funny. But from what I've been reading, there's been discussions that it may not be a comedy and may be a legit uh, drama. So I'm curious, and I would really like to see a drama because I feel Kevin Hart has more to bring to the table than, you know, his usual comedic shtick. So I'm really hoping I like I like the concept. I like the premise. I really hope that Kevin Hart makes the jump and does that for, um, you know, he does that on in terms of doing it for the big screen. I, I really like him. And I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think that that he needs to keep relying on the comedic crutch. Now, Don says, no way. It's not a comedy with those two. But I really would like to be, you know, along the lines of, um what the hell was the Tom Cruise Jamie Foxx movie where 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 Jay, where Tom Cruise what the, was the hitman? Shit. Ah, what the fuck was it called? Anybody Bueller? Bueller. Anyway, Collateral. Thank you, Strider. When you look at Collateral, you you said to yourself, "Oh man, you know Jamie Foxx in this movie is he going to be comic relief?" Jamie Foxx was really good in Collateral, and I and I do feel that you know a guy like Kevin Hart has the tools to make the jump to do a a, a comedic, uh, you know, a, a non-comedic role. And I like that Jay Santee brings up Jim Carrey because Jim Carrey, you know, Jim Carrey's done some amazing dramatic work. Some really, really, I mean, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you can consider that a comedy, but still really, really good stuff from Jim Carrey. And that's what I'm saying. I'd like it to be a drama, something darker, something gritty, you know, it would, it, it, you know, it's, it, it, it would work. It really, really would work. But again, we'll see how it pans out. It's always a 50-50 split, whether it's going to be a comedy or not. But I really would like to see it go into the more dramatic uh, area versus relying on the comedic crutch. Ah, it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without talking about Fantastic Four. Now, we talked about Fantastic Four's casting and you guys express your disdain or n- or lack of disdain or lack of interest. Of course, the Fantastic Four reboot will be directed by Josh Trank, and it stars Jamie Bell, Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, and Miles Teller. Miles Teller will be playing The Thing. Kate Mara will be playing Invisible Woman. Of course, Michael B. Jordan will be playing Johnny Storm. Jamie Bell will be portraying Reed Richards. Now, there's been some talk of Doctor Doom this week. And originally, we were talking about Dr. Doom and the rumor of Dr. Doom being a woman. Well, obviously, that rumor has been squashed due to the casting rumors of this week. Uh, the actors that they're talking about is uh, Dom Hall Gleason from About Time, Toby Kebbell from, Rash- from Wrath of the Titans, and um, Eddie Redmayne from Les Miserables and Sam Riley. Uh, right now, those are the four actors being considered. Now, Toby Kebbell, if you watch Wrath of the Titans, he played uh, the Navigator. He played the guy that was second banana to uh, Sam Worthington. 
So right there, you're playing second fiddle to Sam Worthington, who is about as charismatic as a bag of wet dog hair. And then you have, you know, Eddie Redmayne from Les Miserables. He was okay, not bad. Um, Sam Riley and, you know, Dom Hall Gleason from About Time. Again, not, not, not terrible casting choices, but definitely not great choices. Toby Kebble, you have to look at Dr. Doom from the standpoint of you want elitist, snarky douchebag. That's what you want. You want elitist, snarky douchebag. And the problem is when you look at a guy like, like Toby Kebble or Eddie Redmayne, those aren't guys that are really jump out. Like, let's, 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 let's backtrack a minute. You look at the, at the original Fantastic Four. Now, the guy from Nip Tuck, he wasn't, he wasn't a great Doctor Doom in costume, but he was a great Victor Von Doom. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you have to, you can't just look at Doctor Doom as the guy in the suit. You have to look at Doctor Doom as the guy outside of the suit. You have to almost approach Doctor Doom the same way you approached Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. It's it's one thing to envision this individual in the suit delivering lines of powerful dialogue, but you also got to remember, Doctor Doom is not a bitch. He's not a bitch character. You have to have a guy that has presence. You have to have a guy like like seriously and you're going to you guys are going to look at it if they would have said hey we're going to make Dr. Doom an African American actor and they said I don't know Idris Elba is going to be Dr. Doom it would work for me you get what I'm saying because at least if you're going that route and you're finding a high caliber actor to fill that role then it gives me hope like you're trying to be different by making uh the human torch African American yeah that's that's easy that's an easy out, you know, because you want to make sure that the Human Torch has swag. You know what I mean? Like, that's very easy crutch. I'm talking about taking the time to put together a villain that when you look at him before he becomes Doom and after he becomes Doom, you understand the, you know, the, the development of the character. And that's what I mean. Like, you need a, a, a high-grade actor, you know? And yeah, you know, he Don, Don says he needed to be younger to match the Fantastic Forecast. I understand that. But again, young is one thing, but seasoned is another. If this is going to be a complete reboot, then you don't even need to have the guy be super young. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, all right, we're going to do this brand new reboot. If you're rebooting this shit, what does it matter? You already threw threw the rule book out the window when you, you know, when you wanted to make Human Torch African-American. You already threw the rule book out the window. So why not get a seasoned guy? You know, why not get an older individual to play Dr. Doom? And that's what I mean. Like there's 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 a gravity to that character that has to translate well on screen. You're talking about a guy who is the leader of a nation. You know, you're talking about a guy, leader of Latveria, the guy that rules that country with an iron fist, literally and figuratively. You want a guy that has presence, that when that guy walks into the into the room, oh, you know, I'm Victor Von Doom. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And that's what I mean. At, at, this, at this point, why don't you just dig up, you know, Skeet Ulrich or, or that shitty guy from... Uh, what the hell is his name? The guy that looks like a bird. He's on Supernatural now. 
Uh, what the hell's his name? He looks like a bird. He's real geeky looking. Fuck. Uh, I can't remember his name. He was in a movie with Eddie Griffin. If if that sparks any ideas, he was in a movie with Eddie Griffin. That guy is a fucking hack. Why don't you just make him Doctor Doom? Ah, DJ Qualls. That's his name. Why don't you just make DJ Qualls Doctor Doom? Why don't you just make Doctor Doom Carrot Top? Yeah, DJ Qualls. That motherfucker. He looks like the birds. Those alien birds that used to be with Marvin the Martian in the cartoons. That guy. That 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 pigeon-chested looking guy. Because seriously, if you're gonna reboot Fantastic Four and make him look like and make the movie's cast completely young, then why don't you just make Doctor Doom a big old bitch? I'm serious. Why don't you just make Doctor Doom a bitch? Because that's what you're doing. No disrespect to Toby Kebble or Eddie Redmayne or Sam Riley or Dom Hall Gleason. No disrespect to those guys, but again, you need a guy that exudes power he walks into a room and you're like yo that guy now it's funny because you know don is saying oh jesse eisenberg for dr doom it's funny because jesse eisenberg's lex luthor casting not the worst thing in the world when you're looking at it from a modern standpoint the majority of entrepreneurs that are famous nowadays when you're looking at mark zuckerberg when you're looking at you know when you're looking at mark zuckerberg uh, the guys that did Twitter, these are all young guys. These are all under 30 professionals, guys that are that, you know, are really, really legit. It works. It's all about doing doom. I mean, doing uh, Lex Luthor justice. And when I say that, I say, don't try and impersonate Gene Hackman. Don't try and be over the top like Kevin Spacey. Make Luthor exactly what he is, the antithesis of Superman. You get what I'm saying? I have no problem with Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor because if it's done right, it will be extremely different. And that's where we're going. We're going with different. With the subject of Doctor Doom, it's a little different because you're doing a Fantastic Four reboot of what is considered Marvel's first family. You know, Marvel's first family deserves a little bit more respect. It deserves a little bit more time. It deserves a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, rationale. Like if I say, oh, you know, your Michael B. Jordan casting, you know, you want to make him Human Torch. What made you think that? Yeah, well, you know, we wanted to make the the Human Torch different, and we just really like how Michael B. Jordan acts, and you know, we really like how he brings uh, a level of 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 Johnny Storm uh, comedy to the table. Okay, I understand that. But Kate Mara as Invisible Woman, you have a dozen beautiful, attractive women in Hollywood. No disrespect to Kate Mara, but. There's a dozen women out there that could have played Invisible Woman. And I'm not saying it from the standpoint of, oh, she has to be hot. But there's a there's dozens of young, talented girls that are younger than Jessica Alba and look better than Kate Mara. And it works. You know, there's there there's there's so much at stake because you're creating Marvel's first family. And this is what I don't understand. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, but, you know. The Fantastic Four are garbage. The Fantastic Four are whack. The Fantastic Four this or that. Yes, I understand that. But they are the first family of the Marvel Universe. They are the Incredibles of the Marvel Universe. You know what I mean? They are the guys that, if done right, can be extremely effective. You know? They're extremely effective. Extremely effective. And that's what I mean. You have to to take the sum of all parts and bring it together.
you know? And that's what I mean. Like Val says it. Yeah. And they wouldn't be shit if they weren't Stan's baby. And that's what, that's what concerns me. The fantastic four, whether you like them or dislike them require a certain level of respect. You know, they, they are, they are the backbone of Marvel. Yeah, you can you can talk about Spider-Man and Captain America, but you know, you remember that Fantastic Four cover with the mole man and the big green guy coming out of the floor. You remember that because it's a it's a picture that's iconic as as comics itself. It's it's just weird, you know, that you're talking about Doctor Doom and you're looking at all these guys. It's like, why don't you make Doctor Doom Benedict Cumberbatch? You know? Why don't you make Benedict Cumberbatch Doctor Doom? Why not? That would work. Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Doom would be ridiculous. Ridiculous. But nobody thinks of that. No, 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 no. We want a young guy. We want a young guy. We want pretty beautiful Fantastic Four. And it's true. Val says because Benedict Cumberbatch is too much of an actor for that movie. Benedict Cumberbatch also wore a, a one-piece suit with giant glowing balls and pretended to be a dragon. So let's not talk about he's too much of an actor for that movie. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is is the almighty dollar. But I understand where you're coming from, Val, but seriously, like Benedict Cumberbatch would have been a, a great Doctor Doom. He has all the tools. It would have worked. You know what? Hell, I would have even taken, and, and this is crazy, but I would have taken, you know, I, and, and, and a lot of people are just going to look at this. I would have taken a guy, I would have gone a little older, and I would have made it work. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could take a Benedict Cumberbatch and make it work because he's not super old looking. You know, he's not super old looking, so it, it, it would have worked. That's a guy you could have used. Use that guy. Why not? I think it would have been awesome. But, you know, you got to find that, that, the guy that has incredible presence. That's how you got to look at it. But, anyway. Let's get into the last bit of movie news to wrap things up. Uh, Chris McKay, who many of you uh, are familiar with, is going to be the director of the next Lego movie. Of course, the Lego movie has earned $361 million worldwide. Uh, McKay was the animation co-director for the first film, uh, but it looks like he will be directing the second. Of course, McKay is also currently negotiating as a a first look producer deal with Warner Brothers due to his recent successes with the Lego movie. Now, here's a couple of things to take into consideration. Of course, he previously won an Emmy for Robot Chicken, which he directed 40 episodes of. Of course, he also did Robot Chicken Star Wars Episode 3, and he also directed and produced Titan Maximum for Adult Swim. I think Chris McKay will do a decent job with a second Lego movie, and like I said, you know, it was inevitable that we would be getting a second film. Another film that shouldn't be a shocker is a standalone Black Widow movie. Uh, Kevin Feige, of course, has been talking about this on and off casually. But given that right now we have uh, Scarlett Johansson with a bun in the oven, I doubt we're going to be seeing it anytime soon. Of course, you'll be able to see the Black Widow in the next Captain America film. And um, like I said, given the fact that she is pregnant, they're probably going to rush through her scenes for the next Avengers film. But a standalone Black Widow movie is inevitable. So there you have it. Next thing I did want to kind of talk about was, of course, Star Wars Episode 7. This week, we got a ton of casting news and rumors of actors that are in talks for the lead role. Of course, Jesse Plemons is still in the mix, as is Matthew James Thomas, Ray Fisher, 
Ed Spaliers, and John Boyega. Of course, Star Wars Episode Seven is going to be one of those things where people look at it and there every week it's going to be a different casting rumor for Star Wars. So I just share the names with you until I see official press releases. Take it for what it is, rumors and speculation. Star Wars isn't even scheduled to be in theaters till December 18th, 2015. The only thing that is kind of certain right now is that Adam Driver is still being rumored to join the cast as the main villain. Again, I look at Star Wars, I look at Marvel movies down the pipe, and obviously a standalone Black Widow movie, big shocker. N- you know, inevitable. It is what it is. You know, that, that's one of those things we kind of expect. Now, one thing that made a lot of news this week was uh, the release of Captain America 3 in 2016. Turns out that they plan on releasing Captain America 3 to compete against Batman and Superman. Very, very interesting. And I'm curious to see how that's going to work, whether the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight can dethrone Captain America in 2016. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, Depending on the successes of the second Captain America movie, I'm sure the third is going to really take it all cylinders and really try to take it to Batman and Superman. But again, we got two years to wait for that and a lot can change. So again, I'm saying it right now. Captain America, the third Captain America and Batman versus Superman head to head in theaters as of today. A week from now, that shit can change. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Now, it's it's it, it, considering how cheap they are to make a third Taken movie is happening. Maggie Grace will be returning as Liam Neeson's daughter. She is the first cast member to rejoin Neeson in the sequel to Taken. Now, the first Taken movie was good. The second one was, it was, it was okay. Um, I personally feel that I'd like to see Liam Neeson start doing a little bit, go in a different direction just because it's very easy to see these older guys uh, doing, you know, these, these pretty run of the mill action flicks. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's in talks to join the film as well. Um, Oliver Megaton will be directing, but I think the Taken series was good and it needed just one film. But again, when you're looking at movies that have a budget of, you know, $25 million, $30 million, and they're making 60, 70, 80, 100 or more, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. Now, I see a lot of you guys are talking in the chat about, you know, Captain America would get decimated by the world's finest. Here's the, here's the thing. You're looking at, at this the wrong way. Captain America, yeah, being released or not released against Batman and Superman, we got to take into consideration, yes, on paper, Batman and Superman, rah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. But what if it sucks? Anybody thinking about that? What if? Like, that's what I mean. Like, I'm not jumping out of my skin whether they compete head-to-head or not because at the end of the day, what if it sucks? You know, I liked Man of Steel, but I also know a lot of people that didn't. I like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, but I know people that didn't. That's all I'm saying. Like, everybody's like, yeah, you know, Captain America's going to lose. It's like, but what if it sucks? What if it comes into theaters and it is a steaming pile of shit? You got to think about it. It's, it's very, and it's true. What if the third cat movie sucks? I'm not saying that either, Slick. It's true. What if the third cat movie sucks? Like, like that, it's, it's weird, you know? At the end of the day, you're going you're gonna to watch it regardless but to say oh this movie that it's it's way too soon 
We haven't even seen a Batman costume yet. That's all I'm saying. All we see is, is Gal Gadot putting up pictures that she's getting in shape. All we see are fan mock-ups of what Batman's costume is going to be. Or we'll see, you know, oh, Superman this. Oh, this guy that. Or look, here's where I stand. With the Superman movies, they did a, de- they did a good job with the Man of Steel. And they've established a brand new universe. Good job. But it's not the question of establishing. It's the, it's the, it's the question of growing. Like what Marvel did. Marvel established the universe and then they had to grow it piece by piece, inch by inch to get us to the stage we are now, the next phase, so to speak. The bottom line is that these movies have different expectations that they need to meet. On the Marvel side of things, it's the next phase of films. On the DC side of things, it's taking a a universe we've established and growing it to the point where it makes us money. You know, simple as that. Whether they get released the same day or they do or they don't, it's inconsequential. What matters at the end of the day is that the movies translate to film and the companies make the most revenue possible. And not for nothing, it's a big feather in the cap of Marvel if the box office totals come in and Captain America beats Batman and Superman. Just saying. It's a big feather in the cap. Like whether, whether, whether you look at it as rumors or speculation or not, as a company, you thrive and you grow from competition. Steel sharpens steel. There's no better way to test yourself than competing against the biggest dog in the yard. And that's it. I'm shocked that they didn't say, yeah, well, the next Spider-Man movie is going to come out and compete against Batman and Superman. I'm shocked that they did it with Cap. But again, whether it, whether it happens legitimately or not, at the end of the day, it's a big feather in the cap for either company if they could dethrone each other head to head. And you know who wins if both movies are good? We do. That's all I'm saying. Just, just think about it that way. That's all I got to say. Speaking of Captain America, Sebastian Stan will be playing the Winter Soldier for quite some time. In an interview he did with Newsarama, he actually said that he signed a nine-picture deal when he came on board to play Bucky Barnes in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I mean, in Captain America First Avenger and, of course, as the Winter Soldier, that's two films. He's got a nine-picture deal. So, you know, a couple of things you got to take into consideration is that in the comics, Bucky did take over the role of Captain America after Steve Rogers was killed by Crossbones and Sharon Carter. Just saying. Both characters that are in Captain America and the Winter Soldier, Crossbones being played by the always awesome and underrated Frank Grillo, and Emily Van Camp playing Sharon Carter. Things to consider. Chris Evans has three more films on his contract, but you never know. Just, just, a, just an interesting nugget that you got to think about. Nine-picture deal, Crossbones, and, and, and Sharon Carter are in the movie, and Chris Evans has three more films to go. Just saying, just... Just something to think about. Just something to think about. On the other side of things, and I did want to discuss this a little bit, um, and this is something that, given given the current state of things, we got Need for Speed coming out this weekend. It's gonna we're gonna wrap up the show with that. And uh, with Need for Speed, it's very funny because the early preli- the preliminary reviews that are coming in are saying that oh, you know, 
Need for Speed is a different film than Fast and Furious. And I, and I love reading these reviews and I wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit is because of course Need for Speed is going to be different than Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious has six fucking movies under its belt. Six. And you do have a dud in there. Tokyo Drift. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, Fast and Furious. Everybody's in love with Fast and Furious and thinks it's awesome because the original cast came back. But when, when Tokyo Drift came out, everybody thought that Fast and Furious was complete shit and that Tokyo Drift killed it. You know? So I'm just saying... With that said, for you to make a comparison between Need for Speed, which is a movie based on a game, and an established franchise with six films under its belt is a poor comparison. Now, if you said Need for Speed and Redline, don't get me wrong, Redline, Redline was, was fucking terrible, but then, then it's, a, it's a different comparison. Again, not, not, not with regards to the source material, but with regards to the storyline. If anybody walks into Need for Speed this weekend thinking that they're going to get a beautiful, Oscar-winning, well-written film, it's a movie based on a game that you drive around in. Come on. It's a racing game that they're turning into a movie. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, this movie, come on. Redline was Baywatch with cars. Very good, Strider. That is a beautiful analogy for that. Redline was Baywatch with cars. Yes. And this is what I'm saying. Here's, here's how I look at it. If you're going to wake up this weekend and go to see Need for Speed, take into account that you're not going to get anything that's not that's mind-blowing, that's amazing. You're going to get a paint-by-number story with a lead who is trying to step out of the shadow of his TV success and it's probably, I, I heard the movie's about, I think it's a, about 110 minutes long, maybe a little longer. And, and this is what I'm saying. Like, you know, when, when, you, when you go to see a movie like Need for Speed, you have to understand, it is going to be a mindless film. So please, thank you, two hours and 20 minutes, thank you. So, two hours and 20 minutes. That movie should be at most 85 minutes. Do we really need two hours and 20 minutes of a racing movie? Yeah, there you go. Don says the only cool thing with Need for Speed is no CGI, all real stunts with the cars. That's great. But you know what? The amount of stunts that are in the movie, the scale of them, while very well executed, doesn't, doesn't detract from the fact that it's a movie about a racing game that never had a plot. It's a racing game with no story. Ever. Ever. Yeah, you could talk about Need for Speed The Run, but I'm talking about Need for Speed. Hot Pursuit, regular Need for Speed. No. It, it's, a, it's a story. It's a game with essentially no story. Yeah, Underground, underground okay. I'll give you that, Val. Underground and, and, and Most Wanted. I'll give you that. But still, it's a fucking racing game. If you're expecting high-grade storytelling from a movie based on a racing game, you're a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. If you're going to go see Need for Speed this weekend, which I'm going to try and go and see it, maybe, maybe not. But here's, here's how, I, how I'm going to approach it. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to a matinee. You know, I'm going to go to a matinee. It's $8. 
I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have a big-ass bucket of popcorn. I have my big-ass soda. I'm going to put the recliner in the theater all the way back. And I'm going to sit there for two hours and ten minutes. And then when it's done, if it was great, I got my money's worth. If it sucked, I only spent $8. And there you have it, ladies and gents. That's how it goes. You know, need for speed, save the rec center. You know, that's it. Need for speed, save the rec center. Need need for speed, cross honey. Need for speed, um, stomp the yard. Come on, it's all the same shit. One guy gets framed by another guy. The guy that gets framed comes back. The bad guy gets his comeuppance. Wash, rinse, and repeat. You know, that's it. But uh, I just, I just want to put that out there for those, for those fellow colleagues of mine that review movies that go into this whole deep diatribe of, of all oh, the storytelling could have been more fleshed out. Stop the bullshit. Oh, it is, it is an $8 movie. I'm telling you eight bucks. If you spend the full ticket price and you enjoy it, Hey, much respect. Me personally, matinee, maybe during the week, you know, and everybody's like, oh, well, Aaron Paul has to carry this movie by himself. And Aaron Paul isn't that great of an actor. Shut up. You know, shut up. You know, Aaron Paul is a great actor. Aaron Paul is a shitty actor. It's a movie based on a fucking racing game. Stop making excuses. You can't justify it. You can't. Any way you slice it, it's a revenge story wrapped around the title of a video game. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I can I can I can go into this long-winded diatribe for another 20 minutes, but that's not the case since we have gone into the three and a half hour mark. So let's get the fuck out of here, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard my take radio episode 219 for Thursday, March 13th. 2014. If you want to be a guest or have any questions or concerns or would like to write for mytakeradio.com, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can always follow My Take Radio on social media, on Twitter, at My Take Radio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circles on Google+. You can also, if you're a Pinterest user, follow our boards on Pinterest. If you want the best MTR experience, make sure to pick up the official My Take Radio app available for Android, iOS, and Windows devices. For Android, you can get it in the Amazon Marketplace. For iOS, you can always go to iTunes. And of course, last but not least, for Windows, you can go to the Windows Marketplace and use it with your Windows devices as well as Windows Mobile. Last but not least, My Take Radio archived episodes can be found on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace. Tune in radio. Also, iHeartRadio. And last but not least, you can always catch video reruns on the GFQ network, gfqlive.tv. Make sure to check out GFQ for all the other great shows, including Matt Men with Andrew Zarian and Rich Stambolian, which is one of the other wrestling shows on the network. What the Tech, uh, another great show um, with Paul Therott, Andrew Zarian. You can check that out. And all of the other shows, you can get the full program listing, gfqlive.tv. All right. Let's get the hell out of here. I will catch you guys next week. Uh, what are we going to go out with? I have no fucking idea, but uh, let's let's fish around. Let's see what we got.
I'm thinking we are going to go with some good old-fashioned music from our friends at ocremix.org. Those guys always put out great tunes, and I figure we will close out with that. So let's get the hell out of here, shall we? I think since we talked about Castlevania, we're going to go out with Castlevania, the Castlevania track from ocremix.org. The artist is M.I. Evil. Peace. That's all, folks. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs>